right. Good evening, folks. Um, I would like to call this um, February 13th, 2023 um, school committee meeting to order. And uh, I'll start with a roll call vote with Leo. Leo Brem here. Michelle Kirkby here. Jessica Riley here. Tim Knight here. Anna Mayo Shaybrook here. Great. So first on the agenda is public input. Um, so citizens at this time may address the committee on items of school business, either on the agenda or not. Uh, the committee will take such items under advisement without action at the meeting during which the item was presented. Matters pertaining to the reputation, character, physical condition, or mental health of individuals will not be tolerated. Members of the public will also be welcome to comment during the public input through Zoom. Please raise your Zoom hand. We ask that you keep your camera on when making a Zoom comment and that you follow the school committee policy for public input, including speaking for no, no more than three minutes and only on topics under the purview of the school committee. So with that, do we have any public comment? Um, my name is Colleen Tierney. I'm at 14 Hatters Hill Road. And I'm here to talk about the library book decision, which seems like a long time ago that we discussed it, but um, I believe it's on the agenda tonight. Um, first, I wanna say that I appreciate the decision to remove Flamer from the middle school. Um, and I'd like to explain why I appealed Dr. Marsden's decision to retain Flamer and All Boys Aren't Blue in the high school library. Um, for the vast majority of my time in Medfield, the schools here have been fantastic. Um, but there's been a noticeable change over the past few years in the culture of the middle school and the high school. Um, academics are suffering and parents are losing trust in school leadership, mostly as a result of an overemphasis on social and emotional agendas. Um, the reason I appealed the decision to keep the books in the school library is because the problem remains that many parents, like myself, do not want their kids having access to sexually explicit content in school. We're talking about detailed graphic descriptions of sexual acts that most parents do not find appropriate for a child under the age of 18. In this case, the school did not just provide the content, they promoted it in the name of creating a safe place for students. Um, high schoolers may be on their way to adulthood, but they're not there yet. Um, what feels safe and comfortable to a teenager oftentimes is not what's best for them. Um, of course, school needs to be a safe place for all students, and all parents should feel that school is a safe place for their kids. But many of us do not feel safe at a school where faculty members are allowed to encourage our kids to read vulgar and sexually explicit material. So you may ask, who am I to question the recommendation of the qualified committee members. Um, and my answer to that is that I'm a concerned mom. And no matter how many credentials an educator has, as a parent, I'm the primary educator of my child. So when it comes to sensitive topics like religion, politics, or sexuality, it's my right to determine what is and isn't appropriate for my child. So the whole reason I went through this complaint and appeal process, I'm new to these meetings, um, is because more and more parents, I feel that parents' voices are being silenced. Um, the book issue is just one example. Many parents from a variety of backgrounds are concerned about inappropriate content. Some of us are speaking up, but we don't feel heard. Um, 
And going through this process, it's alarmingly clear to me that we're just being ignored. Um, I understand that this appeal process is new, but I don't think it should have taken three months to get a response. Um, in fact, no one from the Medfield schools ever followed up with me on this. Um, I found out from a neighbor that my appeal was on the agenda tonight. I mean, that's that right there shows, I think, a lack of transparency or concern. Um, so if the process needs to be taken seriously, um, I just, it just to me, the lack of transparency is very apparent. Um, so if you continue to selectively ignore parents' input and our vital role in our children's education, you will continue to experience a drop in enrollment, rankings, budgets. Um, in closing, I'm actually not asking that you simply remove the books from the high school library. Um, it is clear that there are a number of parents who feel strongly that the books should stay. I realize that a large group of parents disagree with me, um, and I have to respect that. Um, that is why in my appeal I proposed a compromise, which is to keep the books in the library, but have them be checked out with parental consent. That way, the parents that wish to safeguard their children from the content in question can do so, um, and those that wish for their children to have access to the books still do. So, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Good evening. My name is Nancy Ballard, and I've been a Medfield resident for over 28 years. My son, who is 29 now, grew up in Medfield, and our family has participated in a wide range of school, church, town, and community events over the last two decades. Tonight, I too am here to speak on the appeals process for the challenges to the decisions on library books. In the last school committee meeting, Two members asked whether the proposed school committee review of the administration's decision on book access was simply procedural. That is, did school administrators follow the appropriate written procedures? Or would the school committee also review content? In response, I understand that it, this committee is considering substituting its own subjective cultural judgments for the decision making of the school administration if there is a challenge. If you disagree with the school administration decision, this committee would cause a book that had been approved by the superintendent to be removed. I believe that asserting broad authority over the school administration's decision on content presents several dangers that can be avoided if the school committee reviews its motion and amends it to state that it will over, overrule the administrator's decision only if it finds the administration has abused its discretion in determining that a book should be accessible to students. The addition of an abuse of discretion standard pays respect to the professional expertise and ongoing daily direct experience that our school's faculty and administrators have with children and young adults, with school curricula, and with the many ways in which the school serves a wide variety of students with different needs, strengths, and vulnerabilities. This standard is used across the country by appeal boards and courts of appeals reviewing factual determinations made by a lower fact-finding body that has first-hand knowledge of evidence and circumstances. The abuse of discretion standard provides protection against the possibility of a book selection decision so obviously inappropriate to any student that the school serves that it should be overturned. But at the same time, it also decreases the possibility that the school committee 
and its members will receive numerous book access challenges by people seeking a second opinion to one they didn't like. Such challenges could consume large amounts of school committee member time and could potentially lead to decision making that bias, that's biased in favor of expediency rather than rigorously considering the rights of all students and the school's mission. If this committee has unfettered subjective content review authority over library books, it could also discourage wonderful, qualified future school committee candidates from wanting to serve because of the increased time required for book reviews or because of their discomfort with substituting their subjective cultural decisions for those made by school professionals who have more nuanced grasp of students' needs and circumstances that are unknown and can never be known to the school committee. Books offer readers a window into thoughts and feelings that are not visible to the outside world. To paraphrase Charlie McKessie, we can only see others' outsides, but nearly everything important happens on the inside. By shining a light on others' thoughts and feelings and motivations, books can provide comfort and hope to kids who feel alone or different from their peers or family members or dominant culture or subculture. Books also play an important role in helping us to understand others' different experiences and circumstances and promote empathy and understanding. I respectfully request that this committee's review of content challenges be modified to include an abuse of discretion so that, this, that the school administration's decision be upheld unless this committee finds their decision so unsupportable that it constitutes an abuse of discretion taking into account the decision makers' expertise and knowledge of the wide range of students served and the mission of our schools. Thank you. Thank you. Any other public comment? <coughs> um, you have somebody on Zoom. Okay. I think it's Lauren Zembrin. I'm on mute on there. Okay. Lauren, do you, do you mind popping Lauren over and if she could please put her camera on? All right. <laughs> Unable to start video. That's the message I'm getting here. All right. That seems to be one of our hobgoblins. That's ones. okay. All right. Yeah. So, so, Lauren, please share your comment. Thank you for I'm popping sorry. on. I'm so sorry about that. That's all right. Um, hi, my name is Lauren Zembrown. I live at 151 North Street. I'm also here to speak about the library books. I uh, just wanted to start off by saying that I appreciate Colleen's compromise idea. Um, that being said, I'd like to spend the time I have here reading some quotes from the exceptionally brave high school students who spoke at the October 13th, 2022 school committee meeting. It's imperative that our community listens to what these young people have to say. So here are the quotes. I have read both Flamer and All Boys Aren't Blue, and both of these books are extremely important not only to the LGBTQ plus students here, but to everyone. Having access to books with gay characters in them is so important. I want to be able to come to the library to check out a book that I can actually relate to, which is not the easiest thing to do already. I want Medfield to continue the legacy of having welcomeness, but if these books are moved from the library, I don't think we'll have that anymore. It is not wrong, and it is normal, to experience sexuality as a teenager, whether it be queer or straight. 
Representation in media was one of the few things that let me feel seen and heard and understood and normal while coming to terms with my gender identity and sexuality. Maybe if I'd had a story like this with a protagonist like me, I wouldn't have felt so wrong for being different. Being seen like that, knowing that yes, you're different, but you're not alone, that could have saved me a lot of strife and a lot of tears and a lot of pain. There's a reason the words, this book will save lives, are written on the front cover, because it's accurate. At this high school, the honesty and sincerity with which this book describes the queer experience can make a lot of lives hit, a lot of kids' lives a lot better. Representation matters. These books matter. Our experiences matter, and we deserve media that looks us dead in the eyes and unabashedly proclaims that truth. So I just wanted to thank the students again for sharing their perspectives and experiences and let them know that we're listening to you. Thank you, Lauren. Are there any others? Let me make sure. Nobody else on Zoom. Okay. <clears throat> no, go ahead. And um, my topic is just a little bit different, but it actually ties in, uh, segues into a little bit to the whole book situation. Um, I think some of you may know, um, you know, I've been very involved with the schools for a very long time, and I'm always, uh, always waiting for the Metro West Adolescent Health Survey results to come out and to be discussed at school committee meetings. And I so applaud um, the team in the, the school district that works on those results, analyzes them when they come in in the summer, and then tries to get them out. I will say, though, that you know if we believe that social-emotional learning is a priority for our district, it's a shame that we didn't have a presentation on these results back in the fall. We get these results in the summer, and based on feedback from Metro West Adolescent Health Foundation, most districts actually do their presentations in the fall. Um, we are very late in the game with getting these out. And I think if, you know, we had, we'd, at one point you had, the school committee had an annual calendar where it would plug in different things that it would talk about um, that would come up year after year. Somehow that calendar fell by the wayside, which is a shame. It, it should, should be something that would be good to revive. But I think it's really important that we do the Metro West, Metro West Adolescent Health Survey results along with the, the vocal results that come out from MCAS and do them together in one presentation at the beginning of the school year, as close to the beginning of the school year as possible. So when these discussions about books, other social emotional issues come up during the district, we have this as baseline information so that people are all sort of in, a, in essence starting from the same foundation. So that would just be my suggestion for next year. Thanks. Thank you, Chris. Anyone else online or anyone else here? Thank you. Um, now for our consent agenda portion, um, the approval of um, the minutes of regular session on January 26, 2023. Do we have a motion to approve those minutes? So moved. So moved by Jess Riley. Um, second? I second Tim. Second Tim. All in favor? Aye. 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 Okay, great. Thank you. New business, Medfield High School Student Advisory. Who would like to go up first? Tess? Hi, Great. Tess. <laughs> Hello, I'm Tess Boggy, the representative for the class of 2026. As most of you all know, second semester is off to a start. The first year students are now well adjusted to the high school. 
For the second semester, some have a new couple of classes, but as far as that goes, the school I transition has been pretty smooth. School has been going well for many. I think break, before break, it gets a little hectic and a little bit tough, but flex does help like a ton. And it's just good to get your work done during those periods. And all or almost all of my student, my the students in my class have gotten the opportunity to talk with their guidance counselor and just getting to know their guidance counselor a little bit more before um, the next few years go on and because they'll have them the next four years. And then student government wise, we successfully delivered all of our Yeti mugs for our fundraiser for our prom junior year. And so thank you to all those who purchased them. And our next step, we are thinking of working with a charity or club in our school to do a school supplies drive in the next month. Super. Thank you, Tess. Thanks, Tess. Susie? Um, hi, I'm Sophie Sheila, and I'm the representative for the class of 2025. So um, we're getting to that time where we're like deciding placements for next year's classes and like just deciding like our schedules for next year. And so for us sophomores, it's our first year. Next year will be that we can take AP classes. So like we're like looking for all the placements for those and stuff and like ones that we want to try to take. Um, so semi is coming up. It's I think it's March 24th, which is getting soon. And then we also, for student government wise, we've put down our first deposit for prom, which so next year prom will be, um, I think, May 13th as of right now. And then, so also student government-wise, we're selling dog leashes for $25, like, and we're still selling them. They're on Facebook, on Instagram, like, Friends of Medfield, like, and if you want to buy them, you can contact us or fill out the Google form. But I think that's really, yeah, like, we're adjusting well to the second term in, like, our different classes, like, semester-wise. Yeah. Great. Beautiful. Thank you. Thanks, Sophie. There's Catherine. Hi. How are you? Wow. Yeah. I'm Catherine. I'm the representative for the junior class. Um, junior year is going so far so good. Not too many updates from the last time we came, but um, it's definitely a bit overwhelming during the winter months per usual. Like Tess said, it's always hectic during the week before break, but in just a few more days, it's going to be worth it. Um, everyone's future plans are definitely starting to come up, whether it's college or a gap year and whatnot. Guidance counselors are definitely starting to bring it up and the conversation is definitely happening. Um, so student government for us is also planning prom. Um, that's great to hear that you guys put down your first deposit. It's gonna be May 5th this spring and we're definitely taking a break of fundraisers. We're brainstorming fun ideas like the theme and decorations, so that's a lot of fun. And winter sports are definitely wrapping up as well and seasons were super successful. We have two TBL champions, which are boys hockey and girls basketball, which is super exciting. Super. Thanks, Catherine. Thank you. <clears throat> Hi, Gabby. Hello. Uh, I'm Gabby. I'm the senior rep to school committee. Uh, basically, same thing, everything for the seniors. I was just going to mention applications are pretty much wrapped up, so it's a huge stress off everybody's plate. Everybody's just kind of waiting now, waiting to hear back. Some kids have committed places, but there's a lot still figuring that stuff out. Um, the school's done a really good job kind of stressing on like reducing senioritis, I guess, going to second semester. So that's been a huge thing. We do have senior privileges coming up at the end of February. So one thing student government did was 
we talked to Mr. Parga and had it moved a little bit earlier, so we have like two more extra weeks of having senior privileges. Um, same thing with the winter sports. It, we're going into playoffs, which is really good. Almost every team has made it, so we're looking like really um, excited for the next couple weeks with that kind of stuff. And then school-wise, everything's been pretty normal. I mean, last week we, I'm on the Mandarin National Honor Society. We hosted an event in the library, and we had for Chinese New Year celebration, and we had some of like the middle school Mandarin students come up and kind of like we hosted everything with like a bunch of traditional event. Like we had some dancers, some activities, different stuff going on. So just to kind of promote continuing Mandarin into high school. So lots of fun stuff going on at the high school. And then everything just going into third term, things are kind of, we had a peak with a lot of tests and exams, that kind of stuff. But now as we are going farther into the term, everything's kind of winding down, going to break. So it's doing good so far. Oh, Madam Chair, may I make a quick question? Sure. Uh, and this is just one of those <clears throat> things that I, uh, so, have you been hearing about a range of experiences post-graduation different than perhaps kind of like everybody going to college? Like, have you? Do you feel like you've been hearing more Recording about that? Leo, you're in trouble. Um, <laughs> no, have you been hearing that there's like a wider range of experiences people are thinking of having after school? Have you been um, hearing after, you know, like where are you September 30th of Pretty much everyone I know has been applying. Mm -hmm. I mean, I haven't heard of many people like going to trades or anything like that. I know I haven't heard like any of much years or any of that. Yeah, kind of I they they definitely like left that an, as an option open to us. Like mm -hmm. the guidance counselors were very open about like having other options other than college. But everything I've heard has been college so far. Um, nothing else. But I'm sure I'm sure there's some kids that maybe I don't talk to that. I wasn't uh, sure if there was a, a wider range of it because you're really kind of like the lucky you, the vanguard of the pandemic. Yeah, kind of graduation. Yeah. Of, yeah. you know years and I've just. Uh, from my experience with other schools and hearing from other places, mm -hmm. there's a wide range of where kids are going. Yeah, after. I have heard there's been a lot more almost competition going into schools this year because there's a lot of kids that had been taking gap years that are now applying Trying now because like yeah. less of the pandemic is affecting them. So I have heard like there's a lot more applicants to schools, which is causing more competition, which has been a worry, but I'm sure everyone will end up somewhere. So we'll always find a way to make you worry just a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, Hey Gabby, do you College mind sharing um, for those folks who don't have, who haven't had senior yet, seniors yet, what are senior privileges? Yeah, sorry. No, um, that's all right. They changed them a little bit last year with the whole new flex schedule because it used to be that you could leave during lunch, I guess, before pandemic and everything because they had a longer lunch period. But with the new schedule, it's uh, two days out of the eight day rotation. You can sign out. They have a lot of restrictions. Like they do a really good job. You have to earn your senior privileges. So you can't have like a certain number of absences. You can't have more than two tardies. So they're very strict about that. So if you have your senior privileges and you've earned them, um, you can sign out for the flex period and then just be back by the end of it and come back in. So it's just kind of a chance to leave the school. But I know they wait until the end of February because they want to be careful with weather. Like they don't want to do it during the winter because like snow possibility. So we, that's, we wanted to get them moved up earlier, but they were very strict about making sure no weather issues. <clears throat> Super. Thank yeah. you. Of course. Thank you. I, was, I had one other. Oh, What's sorry. What's the current um, definition of senioritis? It was <laughs> oh. changed much. <laughs> um, I guess they do, they tried to kind of warn us away from it by telling us a lot of like the horror stories of kids that maybe gave up their second semester and then got into tr some trouble with their schools both disciplinary and like grades wise so we have a lot of kids doing senior projects this year too yeah I mean, a, a lot, lot a lot 
your I know classes. it's hard when because if you have like a lot of APs on your schedule you can't miss those classes so I know like most of the kids in a lot of APs aren't able to do them but a lot of my friends have taken out the opportunity and they're doing some really cool stuff so really Yay. excited to see what they do super yeah thank you of course. <laughs> just your question class of 2022 we had just under three percent do gap years mm -hmm. which is a lot more than we've which is a lot more than we've ever done before yeah. Yeah. yeah so I don't know what this class is going to be but uh, yeah I'm a huge proponent. <laughs> oh, do we, um, do we kind of survey what they do during the gap year? I'm just talking. Yeah, our guidance counselors. I mean, I've talked to uh, Eric Gornberg a sure. lot, yeah. and I know that curious. individually, yeah. they take they take real responsibility for their kids as they kind of go. Yeah. You know, if they're <laughs> heading to college or you know that they're looking at different plans, I know that they definitely follow kids. After I know there's some great opportunities during yeah. the gap year these days. So. Yeah. Super. All right, thank you. So now we're going to do the Metro West uh, Adolescent Health Survey. Thank you, students. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Uh, Russ and Mary are here. Uh, Russ they put together a great presentation. So Russ and Mary have done this for the school site council, okay. also for the faculty as well. Um, so they'll, they'll have it all down pat by now. They're, they're pros. Everyone, we don't. Do Great. Oh, yeah. All right. Um, well, first off, thank you so much for having us. Um, this is a real joy, at least for me, to be presenting all this data. Um, I know there is a ton of information here. I think we both fully expect to overwhelm each and every one of you. Um, there will be time for questions at the end, and following all this presentation, we also welcome um, more discussions after tonight as well, because we obviously can't cram all of this into one simple night. So let's begin. Again, I'm Russ Becker. I'm the school adjustment counselor here at the high school. Uh, this is my eighth year here. I've been working, I worked both in the middle and high school for a number of years um, until we got a full-time adjustment counselor at Blake. This is Mary Fitzgerald. Thank you, Russ. Um, Mary Fitzgerald, I'm the department chair for wellness. Um, first, I'd like to just recognize Russ for all the work that he did on this presentation. He's done a lot, and as was mentioned, he's already presented that to the faculty at the high school as well as site council. Um, before we get into the survey data, we'd like to acknowledge all the people who serve as our protective factors for our students, and it's a, it is a big list. So in our schools, that's our administration and staff across all departments, our guidance counselors, school nurses, custodial cafeteria staff, and all our wellness teachers, K through 12, who are primarily responsible for teaching our students the content and skills that is necessary to navigate these challenging um, mental health concerns. Beyond that, we've created in Menfield an extensive network of support through our community, from our partnerships with the people over at Metro West Outreach to our fire, health, and police departments, our vibrant small town community businesses, and the numerous families who remain involved in our schools long after their children have graduated from high school. It's, a, it's very clear that there is nothing more important to this town than our kids. And so in the spirit of our recently approved culturally responsive vision statement, we'd like to take a moment to ensure that we are all using that lens tonight to look at and consider this important data. We are all keenly aware that there is a serious mental health crisis affecting our nation's youth. And unfortunately, we're not immune to that here in Medfield. As we move through our presentation, we will encounter data that we're encouraged by and data that we're concerned about. 
When we're looking at the data that seems to be trending in the right direction, it's easy to fall into the trap of forgetting that the few data points that exist in those feel-good graphs aren't just points, but that there are students. And often, as the data reveals, our students who fall into the smallest and most vulnerable demographics, our students of color, our LGBTQ students, students with a learning and or physical disability, and our English language learners. Cultural responsibility demands that we acknowledge this dynamic and prompts us to think about these students and the part we play in their overall school experience whenever we come together to discuss them. So we'd like you to take a moment right now just to think about a past or a present teen who you know who has struggled or might be struggling now. This might be your own child or a student in your class or on a team that you've coached, or it might even be you. We ask that you please bring this child and their experience as you know it along with you as we consider the information we're about to share. Thanks. So the next couple of slides are really just sort of nuts and bolts about the survey itself. Um, the survey itself is given to 25 local towns. Um, it has been happening since 2006 and 2008 at the middle school. It's constructed by the Metro West Health Foundation, and it's, also, it's organized by, the, by EDC, the Education Development Company, I think it is. And what they do is they offer um, workshops, um, data analysis. Um, they provide customized technical assistance to help all of the stakeholders across Metro West um, figure out how to use the data. Um, as a matter of fact, we have a meeting tomorrow with them coordinating mental health supports within the schools and, the, and community partners. So the survey topics that students are asked to respond to, there are 11, you can see them on the screen, 11 different topics at the high school and at the middle school we have 10. We don't ask, we don't um, survey students on sexual behaviors at the middle school. In terms of Medfield's response, the survey was taken in 2021 at Blake and the high school on the same day. Uh, first time it was taken on the computer. So before that, it was pen, pencil and paper. Um, 653 students at the high school and 514 at the middle school shows we had strong um, participation rates, which gives us good confidence in that data. Um, you can see that students were, through their families, were able to opt out if they wanted, and some five and 18 um, families decided to do that for their students. Families were also allowed the opportunity to come in and preview all of the questions for both surveys, and two families took advantage of that um, opportunity at the middle school. Um, students were also told the day of the survey that they could decide to opt out on their own before or during the survey. So, it. So as you can see between I think it was 87% and 94% between those two schools um, that's a great number of people who took this survey the question always comes up however we're asking teenagers to sort of detail the innermost workings of their lives is any of this data valid are they just gonna lie and frankly that was a concern that I had going into this um, I'm very glad to report that we really feel that this data is accurate. In general, um, the EDC compiles a number of studies that are kind of related to 
youth survey and health behavior surveys. Um, and it goes to show that adolescents are just as truthful taking surveys like this as adults would be. And so that in itself goes to show that the majority of our kids we feel are taking this survey honestly, they're taking it authentically. In addition to that, the EDC, and this is one of the main benefits of using a third party um, company through this, is um, they have a whole system that is built for cleaning the data themselves. And so for example, they might ask two different questions in two, or the same question in two different ways. And they'll recognize that if there's any incongruence between the same person's answer, they know that in all likelihood that data is not valid and so they'll throw that response out. What we know too is that our students have been doing this, they've been taking this survey since 2006. At this point, our students know that it's coming. At this point, our students know that it really does help to affect us as decision makers within the school. And so anecdotally through conversations that we have with students, just the feedback that we get with students, we really feel that our students see value in this. They take it seriously. Like I said, they take it honestly. And so we really do feel like the data that we're about to present to you is pretty accurate given all the information that we have. With that said, however, just because we do feel that it is accurate, it's really important to acknowledge that this data only encapsulates a moment in time. As Mary mentioned, this was administered in November of 2021. So that was in the dead middle of the pandemic. And you have to look at all of these data points through the lens of the COVID pandemic. There are gonna be some things on here, like Mary said, that look really great. There's gonna be some things on here that also don't look as great as well. It's important to just recognize that again, each of these data points is a moment in time. In all likelihood, we're not gonna know exactly how to interpret these data points until we have more data later down the road. And so as we'll go into with a number of the different topics, uh, for example, substance use, a number of our substance, substance abuse numbers have dropped. Does that mean that some of the interventions that we have tried have worked? Perhaps. Does it also mean that perhaps students did not have as much access to substance as they would have had previously? Also perhaps. So it's simply worth noting this is data, it's good data, but there's oftentimes a lot more to the picture that could possibly be encapsulated within this study. And so as Mary mentioned, um, there are 10 or 11 topics here. Each one of them goes into great detail. The data report itself is like 150 pages long with so many different graphs. We're not gonna go into all of the information today. We have highlighted a handful of the topics that we feel were the most compelling. What we tried to do is take different data points from some of the other areas and sort of infiltrate them within the conversation. But like I've said before, if there are certain areas that we're going through, if you feel like you would like more information, or if you'd like to have a more in-depth conversation after the fact at any point in time, let us know, come find us. So like I said too, um, we're gonna begin here with the substance abuse numbers. And as I mentioned previously, if you look there, all of our numbers since 2018 have dropped. For those who might, or in person here, you might not be able to see for tens of thousands of fans at home, they'll probably have an easier time of reading this data. So I'll do my best to sort of explain what it is that's going on if you can't see it. But up here, you can see cigarette use, vaping use, alcohol, and marijuana. All of those things fell pretty significantly since 2018. Like I said though, grain of salt, Hopefully this is a good thing. I think we're keeping our fingers crossed. We've done a lot and there's a number of really positive protective factors 
that we've infiltrated both within the school and within the town and the community that we hope are working to affect these numbers. But with that said, we again know that this was taken at a moment in time and it's not necessarily accurate and it can't necessarily be read as a positive trend until we have more data. The reason that I harp on that is because even though our overall numbers have dropped, some of the other trends that we've seen consistently in this town are consistently a little bit alarming. So this here is the lifetime substance abuse by grade at the high school. So perhaps this isn't surprising to many, but as our kids get older, their usage numbers go up. That I think is pretty commonplace across many high schools. I think when people think about their own journeys, perhaps you know, that might mirror their own, um, their own journey as well. But what I think is really alarming to me is you look at our senior class and at the point that they've taken this time, and this is in November of their senior year, 80% of our senior class had used alcohol at some point, 53% of our senior class had used marijuana at some point. Within and I, the last 30 days. Within the last 30 days. This is lifetime use, but the, there's also um, the current use, which is uh, within the last 30 days, mimics this as well. And so what we see again is that the overall numbers might be dropping, but we know that this is clearly a larger discussion and there's probably a little more going on here that needs continued attention. Okay, just to kind of piggyback on that, uh, if we look at our middle school numbers, um, I guess what in conversations that we've had with guidance over at the middle school with administrators, teachers, wellness department, um, and folks over at Metro West Outreach, there seems to be a significant level of agreement that there has to be some mixed messaging going on with substances, especially when we're talking about alcohol. So the good news is it, it seems like there's a real sweet spot for action in terms of us as educators and community role models. Um, but if you, if you just simply look at the, um, the way those numbers from middle school, sixth, seventh, and eighth grade, and then you look at the numbers ninth, 10th, 11th, and 12th, um, somehow students are getting the message that maybe they're not really sure if it's okay to use these substances. And then we, we also need to question the idea that maybe they're getting the message that there is this social expectation of behavior. And, and I think that's you know probably a combination of those two elements. And I think in all likelihood that's mirrored here by this graph. So for those who can't see it, the bar on the left is Medfield's uh, usage data and the bar on the right is the Metro West data. So if you look there, we see that 50% of our student body at the high school have used alcohol at some point within their lifetime as opposed to 44%. So everywhere there except for cigarettes, our daily usage within Medfield is higher than the Metro West average. That's been relatively consistent, I think, over the past handful of years. It's been something that we've really tried to target as a community. Again, our numbers have dropped. They were already sort of starting to drop in 2018, but this just goes to show that, again, we have more work that needs to be done here. To Mary's point as well, this is the data that comes from the middle school. So once again, the bar on the left is Medfield's data as opposed to the bar on the right, which is the Metro West data. If you notice there, everything except for inhalants, the Medfield data was lower than it was, and pretty significantly lower, especially in regards to alcohol, in comparison to the rest of the Metro West. 
So what that shows us is there's something happening in between eighth and ninth grade that's really flipping the script on its head. And so whether it be this perceived risk, whether it be more socialization, we're not quite sure, but we do know that the messaging does need to be consistent. We have to keep delivering this message so that we can continue to bring our overall numbers lower at the high school to bring them more in line with where we need them to be. So as Mary said too, the current use trends, especially at the high school, mirror exactly the lifetime trends where as kids get older, they use more and they use more frequently. What we see too is that while some of the overall numbers drop, there were some real alarming data that came out in regards to binge drinking and isolated use. Our binge drinking numbers did not drop, even though the overall numbers dropped. So Russ, that, that's four drinks in one, one sitting, is correct. that what it is? Yep. Um, I believe, if, if I'm not mistaken, I believe it differentiates for both boys and girls. Mm -hmm. um, I don't remember the exact number off the top of my head, but I believe it's about four in one sitting. Um, but so the binge drinking numbers plateaued over the past handful of years. And so what that goes to show is that those who are choosing to drink are choosing to drink in more and more unhealthy ways. The amount of students who are accessing alcohol and substance abuse isolated, who are doing it by themselves, also rose as opposed to the other numbers dropping, which again, probably just speaks to isolation in general. It probably speaks to the fact that our kids have been isolated and didn't have the social aspect of drinking, but still, we know that our kids and those who are choosing to use substances are likely doing so in a more unhealthy way as opposed to 2018. This last bit here, this perceived risk plus socialization equals usage data, that's kind of how I like to think about some of these usage data. It's an equation that I think I would like all of us to keep in mind as we look through some of these other data points as well. What we know is that if kids perceive risk, they're not going to do something as much. What we know too is that if kids perceive risk, but then all of a sudden something is being socialized, all of a sudden that risk does not seem that important to them. And so they ignore risk. And so we have more data in a second that goes to show what we need to do is to keep harping on the risky behaviors that our children are deciding to enact, um, while also hopefully bringing down some of the socialization that we likely know is happening, whether it be through the community, through the town, and some of these substance uses as well. And so in terms of the perceived risk, socialization, and all of these other things, here's some other data points that go hand in hand with those first bits of information. This is just impaired driving at the high school level. So we see at the high school level here, our numbers are higher as opposed to the Metro West in regards to those who have driven under the influence of both marijuana and alcohol, and those who have willingly got in a car with someone that they know is under the influence of marijuana or alcohol. So again, you're not looking at sky high numbers, but 10% of our student body rode in a car with a high school driver who had been using marijuana at some point. You might not look at that and think that it's sky high. Again, it's only 10%, but 10% is certainly enough. And so that just speaks to, again, our kids are not perceiving the risk that they should and are likely making unsafe and unhealthy choices as a result. So Russ, you remember this was a, um, a question that we gave feedback to Metro West about because it never said high school kid before, it just said um, got into a car with someone who had been drinking. Mm -hmm. So we had conversations, we were looking at the data, would kids say that's my parents leaving Newnhill or something, right? So that, that would be a yes, they put in there. So we wanted to differentiate between parents, which we thought was some of the issue as we looked at those numbers in years past. And um, Metro West, we gave them that feedback and they did change it for, 
for this particular exactly. uh, survey. So. Yep. And, and I think that's, that's a great point too that just goes to show the great work that EDC does. On the off years, they look critically at the survey and they take feedback and they really do try to pump out a different and a more accurate survey year after year, which to me just speaks to the validity of the whole process. So like I said, going back to that equation of perceived use and socialization, this to me speaks exactly to that equation. For those who can't read, this is the vaping numbers that have happened in town since 2014. So if you remember in 2014, and I remember being as an educator existing here, the conversations that we were having with kids around vaping was it was the safe alternative to smoking. Kids didn't think there was any risk involved. Kids could access it seemingly out of nowhere. And so what we saw as a result is the usage skyrocketed simply because they didn't see much risk in it. This top line here, that gray one, is the perceived use. So we see in 2014, 2016, under 50% of our student body thought that vaping was risky at all. Obviously, that number has skyrocketed to over 80%. And so as a result, that second number there, that's the vaping number as well. We see that has plummeted. Um, and we know both current use and lifetime use has plummeted as well. So it just again highlights the fact that if our kids are perceiving risk, the likelihood is they're not going to do these things or they're going to do them with much less frequency. And so it just harps on the fact, again, we need to keep having these conversations and just keep this on the forefront of our mind, regardless of whether or not some of these data points appear positive. So it's not all doom and gloom here. Moving on to another section here, we don't wanna to touch on this all that much because the trends here have been pretty consistent over time. In terms of violence, in terms of bullying, in terms of cyberbullying, our kids create a very respectful atmosphere here within Medfield and especially in comparison to many of the other Metro West towns. So in general, our bullying numbers have been pretty stagnant. Um, they were relatively high in around 2008, 2010. Um, we've done a lot of initiatives. I feel like statewide, there have been a lot of initiatives. Bullying has been a pretty significant topic of concern. And we see that a lot of our numbers have dropped, which also does speak to me that um, if and when some of these instances happen, they're probably being dealt with in a way that is effective, in a way that is efficient, and likely does cut down on the amount of repeat bullying. Uh, and this is Blake, I believe, right? Yeah. So. It's Blake, but it's it says 9 to 12, which is my mistake. Um, so just, just to be aware, when we're looking at this data, another thing that we need to take into account is this is reports of bullying within the past 12 months. So a certain percentage of our students who decided not to come back onto campus um, this is promising that it's leveling out this is probably a good time to think about that kid who's struggling that is actually on this um, on this graph and you know sort of take a pulse and, and wonder if you think about those numbers any differently so like I said before again our kids especially in comparison to the Metro West they do feel safe they do feel respected they do feel seen which I think as a result is existing and slightly lowering bullying numbers for our kids in comparison to the Metro West. So moving on to mental health, um, I think we all sort of know the COVID pandemic has really made things significantly challenging for many of us. 
Um, we've all likely seen reports, we've all likely seen data at some point in time that speaks to this, especially in regards to the adolescent experience. For better or worse, our data mirrors much of the same. At the high school, 31% of our student body at that time reported their life being very stressful. It's really great to know that that number dropped significantly from 2018. So at that point in time, it was 41% and it dropped 10 percentage points to 31%. Um, at this point in time in 2018, I know stress was a really significant initiative that we as a school really wanted to target. We changed the schedule around, we added flex periods, we've had a lot of conversations with homework, with things like that, with stress management, um, and it does appear to have some pretty significant effects for our kids. Unfortunately, we have not seen the same success rates across all other barometers of mental health. Again, it's impossible to know just how successful this change in schedule or some of the other initiatives may have been because we're looking at this data through the COVID pandemic. So would these numbers have been even higher had we not targeted some of these initiatives previously? It's certainly possible, but again, this is just the data that we have given all the situations that we're dealing with. So at that point in time, 45% of our student body were reporting symptoms of generalized anxiety, which was up from 33% in 2018. 23% of our student body reported clinically, clinically significant depressive symptoms within the past year. 18% of our student body had engaged in self-injurious behavior over the past year. So whether it be cutting, whether it be burning, intentional bruising, 14% of our student body had seriously considered suicide within the last year, and 3% had attempted suicide within the last year of the students who took this survey in November of 2021. So again, these numbers are jarring, they're shocking. Um, but to me, it just speaks to the fact that we do need to keep having this conversation. I do like to highlight the fact that this 3% of attempted suicide, it has plateaued over the past handful of years. While these other numbers are really alarming, I do really think that, and I think there's a lot of data that we'll go into in a second, that does go to show that despite the fact that our kids are struggling, they do feel supported, whether it be within school, whether it be at home and within this community. And so we know that our kids are struggling, but we know that they're accessing support and they're certainly trying to. Are there enough supports out there? Is it possible to completely mitigate this problem? And in all likelihood, no. But I do feel really strongly that the work that many of us in this room, many of us in this town have done over the past handful of years has been really successful. It's just really hard out there. It's been really hard for adolescents especially so in regards to this data, in regards to this conversation, to me, and granted I'm biased, I'm a mental health professional, but this is some of the most important things that I think we can take away from this and continue to keep on the forefront of our mind. Sorry, Russ. Yes. So that last data point there, does that meet up with what you folks are actually seeing in the school? So these are, these are students reporting versus mm -hmm. what's, what the office is hearing. Correct. and all the other stuff you're not hearing. So do they kind of line up or I would is this so. more than what you've? Yeah, I, I would say so. Um, obviously you can't, you can't reach everybody, but I think, I mean, just speaking personally, I, I think my numbers of the, the students who I've gotten to know clinically have significantly increased. Um, 
within the conversations that I've had with many other people, I feel like the severity of the issues that we're seeing be reported within school have significantly increased and just the frequency has increased too. So, um, you know, if I were to really calculate the numbers, I, I would think it's probably in line with this. Um, I would just say that looking through this, while these are obviously jarring numbers, I wouldn't say they were necessarily surprising. What we know too is that a lot of this information disproportionately affects a handful of subcategories within our student body as well. So this breakdown is by gender. So the left bar there are females within the high school, the right are <clears throat> males. So you can see there, there's a significant disparity and we know that girls in our high school are, are struggling at really disproportionately high rates. That's been the case for a handful of years, but as is the result um, of many of the things that have happened over the past handful of years, those numbers have skyrocketed as well. So at this point in time, we had over 60% of our girls within this building in November were currently experiencing symptoms of generalized anxiety. And of course, all of these things run concurrently with one another. So the likelihood is if somebody's going to be experiencing anxiety, they very well may be experiencing, experience, or experiencing symptoms of depression, might be at a higher risk to develop some of these things later down the line as well. Yeah, Jess. Um, can I ask, do you, uh, when they're looking at the data between, first of all, are they asking to identify gender or sex? Like when we're, we're asking these questions of kids, uh, are we asking about identified gender or are we asking about so um, I, can, I can talk a little bit about that. Um, uh, that started, and that's a quick question. I want yeah, to send us around the rabbit we, hole. Um, when we did look at that slide, we recognized that it's not inclusive. So I did reach out to EDC to ask them how they handled that. And the um, non-binary and transgender students show up in a different graph, a okay. different section. But that is, to Jeff's point, that is a space where they're taking feedback and they're looking to find a way to make the slides and the representation more inclusive moving forward. And then I wanted to just talk a little bit about the socialization of language for um, between, uh, between uh, kids who are kind of socially raised, um, kind of in that kind of female, like, do you know the language for what a generalized anxiety symptom is? You know, it could be that our mm -hmm. young men, our, our boys are having significant uh, generalized anxiety, but do not have the words to put on those feelings, you know? So how does how are those questions kind of identified? Sure. It can't be completely true that that we have twice as many young women who, who are anxious. I would suspect that there's probably a socialization part to I, that. So I will, it's a great point, and I'm glad that you brought it up. Um, it defines the symptoms pretty well within mm -hmm. the questions. And so, again, I forget exactly. I also live in a household full of boys. And yes. they're, they're like, uh, oh. That's, a, <laughs> that's know, a great like, question to bring back to EDC. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, but I do know but within the question, it does outline like symptoms and it gives, have you experienced this? Have you experienced this? Have you experienced this? Um, and are they linked to the DSM? Uh, yes. criteria yep. and kind of what is their you know like are they looking at like if you have one symptom is that included as well as if you have five no within so, that? so, so what's their kind of matrix there um i don't want to get too into the nitty-gritty um really that i i do i do know that they base it off of the dsm and they it's essentially if you have x amount of these symptoms as indicated by your answers therefore you are so experiencing that's how symptoms parsing. of generalized okay. anxiety 
Um, but I do think that that's a great question. And I do think in general, the likelihood is just there's less discourse between the boys as opposed to the girls. But in regards to this data, I do think that, and especially just anecdotally from what I'm seeing, I do think it's disproportionately affecting our girls probably to this degree. Okay. So thank you. Of course. Do you have this data that's next to the Metro West averages? Like how does this particular, cause this is a pretty disturbing slide mm -hmm. in that sense, right? Mm -hmm. um, or just our, our boys are starting to stress, which I can't believe is the case, but maybe that is the case. And if that is the case, um, you know, why, you know, are there some, do we go into the whys at all? Or do we have some ideas on why? And, um, and how does this line up with the rest of the survey from mm -hmm. Metro West? Yeah. Um, as far as the whys, I think we would probably have to dedicate about seven more school committee meetings to just discuss the whys. Um, you name it. I, I think there are a ton of different theoretical reasons as to why girls of all ages are being disproportionately affected in all of these number of ways. Um, I think just here, our girls, experience a significant degree of pressure i think there's a lot of there's a real competitive nature um that i think does disproportionately affect some of our girls um there could be any number of reasons but i do think that this is mirrored throughout the metro west um in terms of the and yeah and the country i don't know the exact numbers as to is it you know 58 percent of yeah, so metro west but midway like you know only 35 percent 25 no, so that, that I can say with relative assurance that this disparity to a relative degree is pretty common both Metro West and just across the United States as well. Thank you. Of course. Right, and so I, I won't go too much into this. The statistics are here and they're available on the report, but um, the numbers that we're seeing at Blake are mirroring what we're seeing at the high school with a smaller percentage of the student body. Um, and it is interesting to think that in terms of the, the language that could be part of the questioning, we have students who are answering from sixth grade through 12th grade. So that difference in terms of their um, maturity and still seeing the same sort of numbers. So here are the Blake numbers. And when you compare if you're specifically looking at the anxiety anxiety numbers, that's that's more than double what we're seeing with the boys. And you know, these especially when you're talking about the sixth graders, they're barely middle schoolers. They're just fifth graders in a couple of months. And so to see that, it, it is very striking. Um, moving on to other student data, this is where they are housing the um, non-binary and transgender numbers related to these symptoms. And you can see they're also striking, even, even more um, difficult to see. So these numbers are also rep represent a really small portion of our student body. And so if we look at this in a bigger, more national context, the um, Trevor Project just did a study in 2022 and looked at um, similar indicators and what they found on surveying 34,000 LGBTQ students age 13 to 24 
45 had seriously considered attempting suicide over the previous year. So if we extrapolate that out, it's, it's not too hard to believe that you know, our students in this demographic are experiencing this. Um, we mentioned earlier our other um, vulnerable populations like our learning disabilities and physical disabilities. We're seeing the same thing. And if we put up the, um, the data for the, our uh, English language learners, we'd see the same thing. So it's, it's consistent with, um, with all of those numbers. Yep. Sorry, yeah, yeah. The two columns. What are the two, the 46 and the 27? Uh, so they, they yes don't, no, I, I can, I can yes put, yeah. No. Yeah. Oh, yes and no, okay, gotcha, thank you. Yep. It's just cut off. It is, yeah. yeah. All right, and so let's see, so we looked at that, and the physical and learning disability in the ELL, similar. So like I said, this is kind of a big discussion about risk factors, protective factors, and some of the causes and some of you know, the things that are working to either prevent or exacerbate some of these numbers. These were data points that were taken at other points in the study that we think are likely either contributing to or existing as a result of some of these mental health numbers. Um, at that point in time, only 26% of our high school student body reported sleeping eight hours or more per night which is also 69% of middle school students. 58% um, of our high school student body reported three or more hours of daily screen time. That does not include time doing homework. They specifically delineate outward and eliminate that within the data pool. So that is just three hours on social media, three hours on gaming, three hours on your device doing something not school related. Um, that was also up from 36% in 2018, in all likelihood existing as a result of the pandemic, perhaps virtual learning and just more of a reliance on phones. What we see too is that our kids are experiencing a lot of connectivity through social media as well. So what we've noticed is happening is that our kids are feeling more connected via social media than they are in person. And they're relying on that more and more and more. And it's leading to less healthy, less consistent relationships and a lot of feelings of isolation and loneliness as a result. So this just speaks to that as well. Um, many of our students since 2018 just expressed feeling like they didn't have as many people to talk to, they didn't have a good social group, they didn't have a whole lot of supports within their life, and those feelings of loneliness rose as a result. Again, looking through the purview of COVID, I don't think this should surprise many people, but in all likelihood, this does contribute to the mental health data. This is just Blake result as well, and again, it, it mirrors pretty much the exact same story. So I think after viewing all of that information, to me, I think it's kind of time to just sort of pause and think and extrapolate that data and personify it a little bit onto the community at large. And May, you asked a great question about whether or not, like I thought that this data was accurate. Personally, I think it is because I know many of these stories and I know many of these kids who might be struggling, but frankly, I've been here, like I said, for eight years, and I would walk through the high school and you would never know that our numbers are that high. I don't know if that's a Medfield thing. I don't know if it's a Metro West thing. I don't know if it's just a commonality in general now, 
But I do feel as if a lot of our kids and a lot of just this community does not openly wear their hearts on their sleeve. And frankly, I'm, I'm as bad as anybody. But to me, that's kind of why this conversation is so important because the data feels very incongruous within Medfield. And I think all of us, especially as educators, and I spoke to the high school staff, all of us can probably think of like the one or two kids where we think, you know, this data probably speaks to their journey. But then when you really think about the amount of kids that are existing within this building, within this district, we know that there's a lot more kids who we might not be applying this data to. And so we have to be having these conversations. We have to be asking the hard questions. We have to be uncomfortable with our kids to, again, make sure that these numbers continue to go down and to make sure that um, our kids are getting the access to the support that we know that they need. So with that said, I freaked you out. I know I apologize, but there is hope. There is positivity and optimism coming our way. So those numbers are alarming. They are certainly not where we want them to be, but a lot of data does go to show that what we're doing has been effective for any number of reasons. So like I said, this is the data on the left, that's Medfield as opposed to the Metro West on the right. And while our numbers are certainly high, they are actually lower than a number of other towns in the area, especially when it comes to depressive symptoms, especially when it comes to suicidal ideation. And so we've spent a lot of time highlighting the mental health needs of our students over the past almost decade at this point. And what we know is that our kids do feel supported. It just goes to show that times are tough and things have been very hard out there for all of us, maybe especially adolescents. And so to me, that's why the numbers are so high, not necessarily as a result of something that we are not doing here, but clearly I think we could all be doing more. Yes. No, but Russ, that said, and obviously the pandemic lens, I mean, I can remember being in an MCAT meeting like four or five years ago before the pandemic, mm -hmm. and the, the pharmacist from CVS talking to us about the fact that they run out of anxiety medicine every month. Mm -hmm. right. and, and they run out before the end of the month, every mm -hmm. month. And it's specifically you know? CVS and Medfield. Yeah, that's because what I'm saying. Because we yeah, look CVS around. And Medfield, absolutely. So and I, mean, they, I think it's something know. that, you know, we, we've talked about it, you know, in our in our district and we've had community conversations as well with, with different speakers, but it's the pandemic just illuminated even more, I think. Yeah. This is not a, a new issue for us. No. Yeah, no, I think you're right. And I think what we're seeing too is that this is more of a common conversation and people are willing or wanting support and they're having trouble finding support. I think it's it's tough to get access to therapists. It's tough to access to psychiatrists at this point in time. The waiting lists are long. And so I'll talk Even about with Interface, this. like before, before the pandemic, if you called Interface, you'd get in within a day or two. Now that's within a week or two, if you're lucky. Mm -hmm. You know, it's just, there's not enough people out there that, um, you know, for people to go see, mm -hmm. you know, there's not enough providers in this area. Yeah, no, it's true. It's certainly true. So this too, um, this is just the disparity between the Metro West and Medfield at Blake. We see that we're in fact doing an even better job in comparison to um, the, the Metro West there across all of the mental health barometers. So once again, it's just a little bit of optimism in regards to the, the mental health data, but Regardless, it is still a very challenging conversation and one that we need to obviously continue to discuss. In entering into the sexual behaviors category, um, this is another one that 
much of the data was relatively in line with where it's been in the past. I do want to just sort of bring back into discussion this idea about perceived risk and socialization, because I think that equation does apply here as well. Perhaps not much of a surprise, but the degree of sexual intercourse um, and the degree of sexual behavior fell a little bit since 2018, in all likelihood because our kids were just not being I was going to say, that can't possibly be a data point that would be accurate at this point. In, in all this likelihood, no. Yeah. Um, but one of the things that I found interesting is the use of condoms over the last time that our, our students had intercourse fell pretty significantly from 2018 until 2021. To me, that's where this idea of perceived risk comes back into the equation. Frankly, I, I don't know where or why that data point exists. Um, I think that this is something that, that continues to be covered within the wellness curriculum. Um, for whatever reason, I, I think that our kids are not perceiving that as being a risky behavior as much as they were previously, hence that behavior and that, that choice fell. So um, this too, I think also does speak to just the lack of perceived risk for our kids as opposed to the Metro West. We see here that our numbers are relatively similar across the Metro West, but again, uh, the condom use during last intercourse was 54% for our Medfield students as opposed to 58%. So again, there's a little bit of a gap and a little bit of a disparity there. Sexting, this is another pretty common issue and one that we've targeted over the past handful of years. Our numbers are slightly higher than they would be within the Metro West um, with 12% of our student body feeling pressured to send a sext, 15% have actually sent a sext, and then 12% um, of our student body had somebody else send a sext to them. Again, these numbers are not astronomically high. They are not all that much higher than the Metro West, but they are certainly higher. And again, probably speaks to the fact that our kids, for whatever reason, are not perceiving as much risk as we would like them to. So now the good stuff, the protective factors, and there are many of them. I'm looking at the clock. I could probably be here until tomorrow if I really went into depth about all of these things. Um, so I'm happy to go into later detail or further detail at a later date. But rest assured that within this town, our kids have done a great job of keeping themselves safe, keeping themselves protected within this school and within this community, I feel like we've really developed a strong community where our kids do feel supported, they do feel safe. And I think that in all likelihood has allowed our kids to have lower statistical uh, mental health challenges as they otherwise would. So here we see the physical activity at the district levels. Our kids are incredibly physically active 73% have played on one or more sports teams compared to 61% of the Metro West. We know that physical activity is a great protective factor. Outside of just sports teams, we know too that our kids are really, really involved. Those who are not on sports teams, they're involved with drama, they're involved with other extracurriculars. And so we know that our kids are really building a sense of community for themselves and they're helping themselves to feel supported, to feel connected. Um, this is the Blake data as well, which just goes to show that, again, this is mirrored across both levels. Our kids are really active. Um, our kids are really trying to take care of themselves. 
And this to me, I think is a really important string of slides here. Obviously I'm biased working from the school, but I'm deeply proud of some of these slides. We know that school belonging, school affirmation, and school connectedness is one of the bigger protective factors for adolescents as to whether or not they're going to develop significant mental health challenges, both currently and later down the road. On the whole, our students feel very connected to their teachers. They feel very connected to this school and to this school community, especially when comparing to the rest of the Metro West. So you see here, 68% of our kids had an adult at school to talk about a personal problem. 91% uh, have a parent or a non-school adult to talk to important things about. So again, this does just go to show that we know our kids are struggling, but us in the school, you all within this community have really created a safe environment and a welcoming and a warm environment. And our kids are accessing that and it does really make a significant difference. Um, so this is just more data that goes to show our kids again, they feel safe, they feel connected. 90% of our student body feels safe within the school as opposed to 74% within the Metro West. That number is unbelievable. Um, I, I think the, uh, the Metro West Foundation like every year reaches out to us and like commends us for this data specifically um, because I, I think consistently across time Medfield's data when it comes to school connectedness, it, it's been higher since I've been here and it continues to be a lot higher than um, our Metro West peers. And I think there's a lot of pride that goes into this data from our educators. So we know too, this is the Blake levels, which just kind of repeat that as well. Um, same things here with our kids feeling respected. They think that our kids are treated fairly. They think that our kids are seen, are valued across all kinds of identities and across all kinds of experiences, which of course is very, very valuable. Same goes for Blake. Like I said, a lot of data, more of the same, all good stuff here. Um, and this too is the peer support. So what we see earlier in the presentation as the amount of peer support has in fact dropped, but that's indicative across the board. So while peer support has dropped as a result of being more disconnected, maybe as a result of more increased loneliness, we know that our kids are actually more connected than their peers. So whether it be as a result of the amount of extracurriculars or sports teams, our kids do a really good job of, like I said, building that community, feeling seen, feeling valued, and finding their people, especially when you compare it to the remainder of the Metro West. Same is true for Blake. And what I think is really cool here is, like I've mentioned previously, our kids are having difficult conversations and they are having them articulately and efficiently and effectively. So whether it be with myself, with another school counselor, with a, a teacher, a trusted adult, a coach, a parent, a mentor, um, somebody within the church or a religious affiliation, we know that our kids are finding these people, they are having these conversations about their problems, they're feeling supported, and obviously, if they are able to do so, we see a direct result in a lot of these challenges eventually go down. Same goes to show with Blake. Take it away, Mary. Thank you, Russ. So in terms of action steps, we spoke earlier at the beginning about um, all the people who make up the protective factors for our students in the schools. And 
there aren't enough slides to put into words um, what has been done to support our students. So these are just a few of the things that we've, um, that over the years have happened, Memorial and Wheelock, Dale and Blake, you'll all have access to these protective factors, everything from the health and wellness classes that we teach, um, the professional development that we do, the outside organizations that we partner with to come in, um, changes to the schedule, the addition of flex time, things like that, all of these things add up to the protective factors that um, our students are reporting. And that is you. So I just, this is a, a quick, this isn't our slide, I stole this from Medfield Outreach. I would be remiss not to mention their support within our community as well. Um, I'm sure all, most of us are already aware of the work that Medfield Outreach does. Um, we have built a really great partnership with them. And I think the work that they've done in regards to substance abuse, in regards to mental health within this town has been tremendous and incredibly necessary. Um, so I actually stole these slides from a past presentation that they made just so I can kind of highlight some of the initiatives that they have already done within this town, some of the things that they are continuing to look to do, both in regards to substance abuse and mental health. Um, and I spoke to Kathy McDonald earlier, um, who has given me free reign to say so. If you're seeing this data and you wanna do something, or if you're curious, or something doesn't quite sit right with you, and you've especially had enough of me after tonight, um, call them. Call me, get involved, because there are clearly ample opportunities for you to get involved, or at the very least to have further conversations. Even if you don't feel ready to take on one of these initiatives or to be a part of this, we know that talking about this helps. We know that making this a more comfortable conversation helps. So give me a call, give Medfield Outreach a call, um, and if you do see any of their initiatives around town, and there will be many of them moving forward, um, I really do recommend and suggest get involved or at least checking out one or many of the things that they have to offer. So as far as the continued areas of need, we know that this stuff is not going away. Um, mental health, substance abuse, it's been a specific issue within this town for many, many years. As Jeff mentioned, the pandemic has only exacerbated many of the things that our kids were already struggling with. And so the continued attention is really, really important. We've done a lot to try to mitigate some of these issues. We know some things are working, we know some things haven't, but the continued support, the continued attention to these issues, it is of paramount concern, as far as I'm concerned. Um, and specific too to the demographic attention, we know that those disparities exist. We know they've existed for a long time and they are only getting worse over time. And so specific attention there as well will be considerably needed. A lot of information. Does anybody have any questions after that amalgamation of graphs and data? Yes, Jess. Sorry. No. Um, first of all, in the sexual behaviors, just as some feedback, uh, under the sexual behaviors um, graphs, uh, there's a lot of emphasis here on uh, intercourse, but that is not actually how our kids are ex experiencing sexuality right mm -hmm. now. And when we're asking if kids are having intercourse, then they get to kind of get the Mm -hmm. You know, like they get a pass mm -hmm. on the fact that they are actually being sexually active and that does not mean that they are without risk. Sure. 
So um, is that something that the, or I would just say, obviously, they're very sophisticated um, people who put together the Metro West. Mm -hmm. But I, I think that's really one of those things we need to kind of be looking at. Totally. Because I think that if we're asking about sexting, that's just one small part of the sexual behaviors that our kids mm -hmm. are engaging with. And we need to be able to make sure that they feel safe with whatever behaviors they're doing. Um, and I also uh, hear, and it's it's interesting, I've heard so many people talk about, uh, if we're kind of um, interweaving our topics tonight, I've heard so many talk about uh, that they feel that the, the books that we offer um, have a pornographic content, but indeed they're not pornographic in the, you know, that they are about kind of sexual experience across the, you know, that there are episodes within that that are about sexual experience. Um, but we also know that statistically <clears throat> our kids are watching pornography and it is, uh, and it is a concern in terms of having non-healthy expectations about sexuality. Mm -hmm. And is the Metro West Medical, or the Metro West Adolescent Health Survey asking those questions about exposure to pornography, age, onset, where it, where they're getting it, what that looks like? Really good um, question. Because I think that that's also a really significant part of our yeah. kids' sexual experience at this yeah. point. Uh, to my knowledge, I don't think that they ask, but- I might wanna, yeah, I would think about giving that feedback, because I know that I'm hearing it. Yes, we know where they're getting it. <laughs> well, I mean, we know where we're getting it, but it's yeah. also about what they're what they're seeing then. And right? they're willing to they're willing to share this information with us, so mm -hmm. it makes sense to have those questions on the survey. Right. For sure. Sure. Yeah. Any other questions? I just have. <clears throat> so I think it's great to share it here in this forum. How else do we um, publicize this with with you know amongst the schools? Sure. Well, how do so we do us, it the most usefully? In the community, I, I get it. Do it's up to us use, and, you know, and grassroots kind of. and stuff. It, you know, there's 20 on Zoom, well, I guess 15 or so in so here. So in, in years but past, we yes, in we've you know we've hosted at the mm -hmm. PTOs. You know, mm -hmm. invited folks to come to the PTOs. But I also think you know, the select board. This is a very important information for them, mm -hmm. and um, so I'm, I'm hoping there can be more informational, whether it's the high school, middle school PTO, or just hosting a community evening mm -hmm. um, to share this information as well. And I wanna reiterate what you were saying, Russ, about getting involved with um, some of the Medfield outreach organizations like MCAP, Medfield Cares for, uh, Medfield Cares, Cares about, about prevention. prevention, exactly. And um, Medfield Coalition for Suicide mm -hmm. Prevention. Um, we are looking for people to, to help you know, with this work. And it's, I mean, this data is um, very jarring, so. I also don't know that it would track so very differently from the adult populations in our town. And I yeah. think a lot of the time we talk about our kids and as you were talking about community, but I do know, obviously we know statistically that people drink more and alone, whether that is mm -hmm. underage or adult drinking mm -hmm. at this point. Mm -hmm. um, and I know that you know, I think we're gonna look at a lot of these data points and really see them as something that happened in the deep dark winter of that second surge. And some of the behaviors, you know, we may see that there's been an uptick in alcohol, but it's really just because it was at home. You know, we all know that the, the Bud Light cans are not falling off the back of a truck, but you walk throughout Medfield, you drive down the street, there are 
everywhere. And these are not adults who are, you know, drinking in the woods, but they're getting it from somewhere. Where is that somewhere and what are they seeing? You know, there's a, a point to this that we need to take a significant amount of responsibility that it doesn't just bounce off our kids. Mm -hmm. They see what they see. I have two, two questions. One is, uh, so what's the kind of process that you go through, uh, you know, with administration to address services? Uh, some of the contrasting parts in there are the increase of uh, anxiety and everything else, but yet school connectedness is high, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, there's a reason for that. And there's a correlation. What is the next step, and I'm not asking this from you directly, I guess, it's, co you know, collectively, um, because, you know, with a daughter in fourth grade, I'm a little worried about coming to high school, mm -hmm. you know, it seems like eighth, eighth grade to ninth grade, all of a sudden anxiety goes off the charts, right? Um, and so, and I'm not pointing fingers on anybody uh, at all, but I guess my question is, is what is the action items as far as unpacking the data like you would for MCAS data and interventions, right? Mm -hmm. Same concept. What is, uh, and maybe they're related, right? Perhaps they're related. <laughs> I'm not saying they're not. Um, so what would be an example for people listening at home and perhaps follow up, you know, um, as a result? What would be one of those, some of those action items you would do as a community? And if it's not your question the answer, it might be Dr. Miles and I know uh, Nat's in the room as well. So something that would happen just so the people at home and parents understand what the action item is of the schools themselves. Sure. Um, so, so I think in years past, I mean, this is kind of the jumping off point, like you said, to then do something about this. Um, over the remainder, Mary and I sort of brainstormed like, okay, so what do we do as educators here in our position? How do we get this data out to the community? And then how do we you know, do something in addition to as far as initiatives are concerned. Um, I know I don't want to speak on Jeff's behalf, but this data does obviously allow us to make a lot of decisions and it guides a lot of what we do and what we think about as far as what our next steps are. Um, there's a lot of information, a lot of data that's coming in through this, through the panorama survey, and I think that does help to sort of guide a number of um, like the strategic plan decisions and a lot of sort of the planning, whether it be professional development, whether it be just individual professional development or school wide that I think we will now look at and see what opportunities we have to maybe integrate certain things. I guess, you know, if I were a school principal, I guess I would want to sharpen the pencil and say, okay, why is it that those numbers are like that? So, and you know, I know crafting surveys is, a, is an art form, mm -hmm. you know, when it's around data collection. You know, is there methods of being able to, besides going to every student and asking them personally, because I'm sure they're going to tell you honestly, right, Lily? Sorry, I can point to you, but you know, no, we're not going to do that to you, Lily. Yeah, we sorry, no. <laughs> but if that's not realistic, so but how? So you know, I guess how to identify some of that, like from you know, whether it's a cultural piece, a school culture, is it a, um, you know, is it a trickle down from town culture, which obviously it's schools we do reflect their town, right, at times, right. Um, so I guess I, the, these are just questions out loud for thought of like, what are those next steps? Because I do feel like some of those numbers are like just really, really concerning. Mm -hmm. so. it, it, it really feels like in order to really see an order of change, it needs to be a closer partnership with community, families, and school. And you really need, that needs to be the driving focus from, from our perspective. It seems to be that piece that isn't quite that family piece 
isn't quite as embedded as we need that to be. So the school connected, this home school connectedness? Or so the... I, I don't know if it's home, I don't know if it, if it would be called homeschool connectedness, or, but just in terms of feeling a um, responsibility that, um, in terms of the, the trust in school and what we're doing in school and really wanting to, families really wanting to be a partner in that. And so us, common language. Yes, yeah, all of that, gotcha, all yeah. of that. So that the same message is happening because it's, there you, go, you yeah. know, if it's, if it's a language, you know, a couple times we brought that up in okay. terms of language and um, maybe that, you know, finding some more common ground there would be. I think it'll be interesting in the next survey too, just as a kind of, a, again, a language and the community use. Um, I have anecdotally seen socially that people are integrating THC project products of both adults and kids and no longer thinking of it so much as you know, marijuana or vaping marijuana, but it's really become kind of a, a chemical kind of name and kind of more normalized. How is that tracking within our adult and kid population? And again, how much crossover and how much access is there to products that you know a developing adolescent brain really should not be getting near, um, when you know potentially an adult brain could mm -hmm. handle it, depending on how they're, again, with Receivers alcohol or anything else. Mixed messages. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah, I mean, I just, I, um, I always think there's different terms. I always think of it like the three legs of the stool, right? The student, the parent, the the administration. Um, we all hear about the mental health crisis post pandemic. I love some of the things like the McLean work and some, some of those webinars we've seen, I think are phenomenal. This is really a great opportunity for engagement though. These are our kids, this is what our kids are telling us. Mm -hmm. You know, and as we get that panorama data back, this is what our parents are telling us, which is inconsistent with what the kids are. Sure. You know, so I, I just think maybe towards the spring, there's a, a bigger outreach. And I know we're constantly doing it, but um, bringing bringing parents to this, you know, maybe it's to the. Um, Mike Danamay's idea of I think that you know it's this is more of a community wide you mm -hmm. know initiative more than anything than you know having a specific night for this is probably a good idea. Yeah, yeah. I agree. Yeah, it could be a night. It could be principals taking it on. I, I, I like PTO yeah. saying you know you don't if the PTO is asking for it. Hey, we'd love to get your input. And early too. They, they would. Kid they would yeah. I, I think it is so hard to. You know, these are some of the biggest challenges we all hit. Um, so I don't think it, but I, I, I find it, um, I'm, I'm pleased at least I was here and I got to see it, but I'm like, hey, this is really interesting data about our kids. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, so how can we amplify, amplify yeah. the message yeah. and, and mm -hmm. you know, try to drive more engagement around it? I, I really look forward to seeing what it looks like the next time we, we bring mm -hmm. back the data. It's tough because it is such a, such an amazing trove of information. It takes a very long time to crunch it there. And then in order to make it useful, because that's actually what this is supposed to be. It's supposed to be useful within the schools and not necessarily kind of a set of data statistics so that we can say, oh, look, we're better here, we're worse there. We're better here, we're worse there. It's really about changing behavior and protecting our kids. Um, but by necessity, there's a lag to that. And so you almost always feel like you're kind of chasing the tail of the tiger. Yeah. And by the time you get to what you've seen here, you know, 
It's a totally different animal. It's a completely different animal. And then mm -hmm. when we look at the, the pandemic sure. effects here, particularly in 2021 at that period of time, I think you're going to see, I, I don't know if it will be less or if it will just have exchanged data points, right? Like mm -hmm. within the same, mm -hmm. maybe alcohol will have gone down, but the new thing that came out yeah. will be higher. Mm -hmm. Who knows? Yeah, but just, thank I'll you. Just share an unpopular opinion. Please. Um, so, oh, I love those. Um, we've had this conversation numerous times at MCAP. Um, Dr. Meisner, can you refresh our memory of what MCAP is? Medfield cares about prevention. Okay. So, I think about when we had certain speakers come and talk to us about drinking and, and alcohol use in our community. Um, and again, no judgment here. But the conversation we've had numerous times at MCAP is the culture of our community is work hard, play hard. Whether you're a high school kid or you're an adult. Think about your weekends, think about people you know, think about your neighborhoods. That's the culture of this community. So unless we start to change that a little bit, we're gonna keep seeing these numbers. Yeah. I mean, our binge drinking has been high for a long time, a long time. I also think it has a lot to do with where do we let our kids go and where do they have to go? And that comes down to where where do we provide family, teen, child recreation? What's that programming? The schools can't do everything. God, Correct. you do a lot, but you but can't do everything. It's not and the schools, the community has to be invested in providing this enormous chunk of of opportunity for these kids that you know if you are not on a sports team if you are not on your club team or whatever your recreational opportunities with your peers drop mm -hmm. boom you're done you have no common place to go unless it's the parking lot or in the summer if you're lucky the trestle bridge over the charles and that's that's the truth we have no place for our kids to go, and it's a shame. Uh, that's my. So I mean, that's, that's right. It's not a, it's not an about. unpopular opinion with you know, me. I mean, I think it's, it's something when, when Chief Meany was here, we talked about um, how important it is to get the parents at Memorial and Wheelock to understand this because, in a blink of an eye, their kids are in middle school and high school, and. You know, you can do all you want with the high school parents, and, and so many of them have kids who have already gone through and they've lived it and been there, done that, like I have. Uh, but it's the parents that don't know what they don't know because their kids in first grade, second grade, third grade. Yeah. I mean, that's, you know, those are the ones we try to encourage to come to the Medfield Talks and get, get that group of people there because they need to know now. They need to know what to look for. Right. You know. And it's not about viewing your child suspiciously, it's about thinking about no, you know, the culture of your family and the culture of your town. It's also thinking about what you're modeling too. Yeah. That's, that's a big thing. Yeah. Uh, but I also feel like I've, this is what my third Metro West Adolescent survey go around here. It's your fifth, sorry. Um, and we have this conversation every time and something's got to change. I mean, I think that we, the school and the budgets have really dedicated so much work to getting uh, you know, adjustment counselors and getting guidance and getting social emotional support throughout every school. Um, and that we continue to pursue that in budget. But again, it also has to be. Mm -hmm. right? I mean, it's an important part this year because we have yeah. 
positions that were in ESSER that we now have in our right. So and we see that it wasn't just an it wasn't just an emergency. It lasts. Yeah. The mm -hmm. pandemic is not over for our community. It'll be a long time. You know, many of us were at the um, at the uh, school committee, uh, Massachusetts school committee conference, and one of the the slides that really spoke to me was uh, our kids are not not all right and neither are the adults and they really talked about and I think you guys know this you do this every day but I think that our community needs to realize that many of the behaviors many of the things we're seeing in ourselves and in our kids are post-traumatic stress and that that is simply a part of our lives now it's the it's the jerk when you think you may have COVID or not it's the, do I wanna wear a mask? It's the anxiety about what's happening. It's the feeling like you've been left behind. You're more isolated, you're different, you're this, you're that, and working to catch up. That uh, just sets the, the bar that much higher mm -hmm. for people in terms of anxiety and mental health needs. And we need to keep on incorporating that here. But you know, I feel like sometimes poor Kathy in Medfield Outreach is also dragging a sled with their teeth across mud, trying to get the services into the community that they need. So. I mean, the fact that Russ is the first school adjustment counselor at Medfield High School. Which is insane. Insane to think about. I mean, right? you know, that's just been... In his first few years, he was doing both middle school and high school. Right. Um, yeah. So, so I mean, uh, the only other comment, and I don't want to step because I'm guessing you go there, but thank you so much for yeah thank you so much i mean for all the work yeah. you're doing no it's it's important work and yeah. i think i mean all of us what's apparent and has always been apparent is that all of us really care about our kids and you know as jarring and as shocking as this is i think what i we're all hearing is this is just another opportunity to continue caring about our kids to figure out how mm -hmm. to do it in a more efficient and an effective way um, I think, you know, a lot of the stuff that we have done, it, it works and it goes to show and our kids do feel cared for, but this is just further opportunity to figure out how to better support our kids across all different facets. So, um, yeah, I think, uh, speak for Mary, we really appreciate being able to give this presentation. We're happy to take it on the road if you want us to speak to other people. Um, but no, but being able to be here to speak to you and to be able to do the work that we do day in and day out with kids, we obviously couldn't do it without your support, without the support of this community. So I um, feel really lucky to be here. Thank you. So Thank you. I look well forward to a community evening with this to invite yeah. all. Okay, great. Thanks. Thank, Thank you, you so very much. much. Thank you. Thank Thanks. You. All right, folks, next um, agenda item is appeal of superintendent's decision on library books. So one item I missed, there was one other public comment that I did not, a request from oh, Zoom. okay. That I did not, it was very low on the list that we just didn't see. Okay, so for what, um, what agenda item for the, I or just the I, initial? I can't communicate with the individual. Right. Oh, it was just okay. a hand raised that I didn't see. I apologize for that. No, so I, I invite her to, or, or him, whomever it is, to send us an email at SC Chair 
or we could take the comment during the period of time that they. Or unless. Oh, her hand is still up. Okay. Is it regard? Oh, for Metro West. Yes. All right. No, it will. I don't, the hand has been the same hand. Before oh. the next agenda topic, appeal of the superintendent's decision on library books. Like we're moving in there. Yeah, I'm moving on to the next. Yeah, I, I believe I suspect suspect the hand is related to that. There's somebody who was, who was part of. That. Okay, so yeah, so we can take comment before our vote. Yeah. According right. to our policy. Alrighty. So well, if you're still there, I think they are. Okay. That, that person could specify which subject matter too. You know, if. I, I can't communicate. I just get. Yeah, but they're just, listening. Okay. They're listening, and they could put a question into yeah. the question and answer. Uh, but we don't look at the question and answer because we like to have our um, our comments viewable and visible to all people, not simply communicate to the school. So I, I understand that. But the thing that could be put into the question is which subject matter, which line item on the, uh, which agenda item they would like to make a comment on. So if that let person the chair, is listening, let the, thread let the that needle. Yeah. Yeah. All right, let's just move on to the next agenda item and um, we will take comment before our vote, as we've stated that we would. So um, appeal of the superintendent's decision on library books. We have discussed this at um, numerous meetings. What exactly does this mean? And essentially, um, we have discussed that this is really whether or not we are going to uphold um, the superintendent's decision to accept the, the recommendation from the re, um, reconsideration committee on both Flamer and um, All Bo Boys Aren't Blue um, and to keep them in the high school. Um, and before we discuss amongst the committee members, I'd just like to ask Dr. Marsden to really recap at a very high level um, the process the reconsideration committee um, undertook as well as yours in coming to the final decision. Uh, sure, Madam Chair. So the reconsideration committee um, was formed in, um, in late September. And they, their charge was to do um, a formal process to review the books in question that, one of the, that were um, put up to be reconsidered. Um, so they read the books, they had multiple meetings, um, and then they did a vote on how they would want to uh, move forward. Um, they submitted a report, which is all online. They submitted that to me, uh, three separate reports, um, two for Flamer and one for All Boys Aren't Blue. Um, they sent that to me, and then I had a period of time which I reviewed that. Um, and then I issued my report and my decision on November 14th, uh, in which um, I uh, supported the recommendation of the reconsideration committee to um, take Flamer um, out of the middle school um, for the fact that that the author had recommended the book for readers of 14 and up and most Blake students are in the age of 14 so it just seemed like a, a natural thing to do at that point and I also supported the reconsideration um, committee's recommendation to keep both Flamer and all boys on blue at the high school um, and I articulated that the importance of representation of LGBTQ plus and uh, black characters in this book uh, were really important and that was that led to my decision among all the other data that I looked at but that letter um, to remember that was it was only sent to the folks that had uh, asked for reconsideration is also on the website for anyone to see as well so that's kind of where we're at that was November 14th um, when we, I made that decision and here we are 
Right. Um, and, and actually, could, could I just quickly point something out? Because it's, it's salient, I think, to some of the concerns I heard. Um, that there's a closing point here that's consistent with the Midfield School Committee policy, parents and guardians may limit the access of certain books and parents and guardians may contact the school principal to arrange for their child not to have access to books that they are concerned about. Okay. So I think that that uh, certainly covers uh, in an equitable way um, parents who have concerns about their children being uh, having access to that book independently while um, and much like other policies that happen within public schools, frequently uh, an opt-out is um, certainly more personalized than uh, um, kind of a generalized removal. So, all right, but I just wanted to make sure that people knew that it wasn't, that there was options. Yes, so I'd like to remind folks, you, you referenced a, a, a website, Dr. Morriston, so if you go on to medfield.net, um, uh, you can find the um, instruction and innovation website right, link. District offices under explore, district offices, instruction, innovation, everything that you would ever want to know about this process is there. Right, and um, as a as board members of the school committee, we had discussed that the um, task at hand was one to read the books two, to uh, review the report by the reconsideration committee, three, to read the superintendent's decision, that letter um, as dated on November 14th, and then any of the supporting documents and videos. So we had spent um, September 15th and October 13th um, listening to extended and important and um, valued input from from people from the community members and students and um, so I am hoping that every school committee member has done so and um, if there are any comments I would love for folks to share well, I guess I, I'll start um, so I read both books um, back in the fall um, reviewed them, reviewed what our surrounding districts have done, read up on them, obviously, uh, on other research. Um, and then, you know, kind of reflecting on some of the comments earlier about the process of um, uh, the, the, the advisory around, you know, the, the curriculum review process and whatnot that we do have in place um, where it puts, you know, materials in question through the professionals that we do have in play, you know, that we are in our employ, um, that do curation, content curation, uh, that, you know, uh, with all the aspects of child psychology and growth uh, at, you know, that they're living every day, you know, um, you know, bringing that professional perspective, you know, to the decision-making process. Um, you know, I feel like we'd be amiss to, uh, to rewrite the way, you know, taking away that trust, you know, into the system that we have put in place. So, um, so I'm going to recommend to uphold Dr. Marston's decision. Thank you. Um, we had many members of our community um, share written statements with lots of thought behind it. So I also have a written statement that I'd like to read. Um, I read the books. I read the reports from the reconsideration committee. I read the superintendent's decision. 
I read the emails for and against the books, and I rewatched the portion of the school committee meetings where members of our community shared their thoughts and listened to those incredibly powerful statements given by students once again. And when I read, and in some cases reread, the information we had before us to sift through, I just kept coming back to one thing our students. The decision around Flamer and all boys armed blue seems to disproportionately affect the students at Medfield High School more than any other group in our town. So I turned to the student handbook and in it I found the MHS vision of the graduate which states, students will graduate with the ability to think critically. It then goes on to state, students will pair academic skills with empathy and resilience in preparation for adulthood, critical thinking and empathy. Two of the core values that we as a community have deemed important for our Medfield graduates to succeed. One of the many emails the school committee received was a joint email from the ACLU of Massachusetts and GLAD. I'd like the email included in the minutes. Um, Andrea, I'll send it to you in a little bit. There were many points made in this email that I think strongly reflect not only what we want for the students of Medfield, but also our responsibility to them around an open and public education. I encourage everyone to read the letter, but some of the points that resonated with me were, quote, debates over whether to allow students access to specific books often lose sight of the overarching function of our schools to train young people to think for themselves, end quote. Quote, having access to these books not only helps educate all students about the experiences of others, but also creates a more inclusive and supportive environment. Removing books that reflect students' experiences not only removes the support, it tells a student that they and their community are not accepted by their teachers and peers." End quote. Quote, students in our diverse society are better prepared to enter and lead in that society when they are able to access a diverse array of literature and informational material. By contrast, when school officials attempt to sanitize the learning space, they undermine students' ability to critically assess and understand the world around them and to form independent views. And when books can be removed based on community members' disagreement with the author's message or point of view, it paves the way for an unending series of attempts to purge a school based on subjective views about what is objectionable." End quote. After thoughtful, careful, and thorough examination, I support Dr. Marsden's decision as well as the professional expertise and recommendation of the Reconsideration Committee. Allowing students to read and access a wide range of literature, including books that may contain controversial ideas, helps to promote critical thinking, empathy, and intellectual growth. It also prepares students for the real world, where they will encounter diverse perspectives and opinions. I support keeping All Boys Aren't Blue and Flamer in the Medfield High School Library. Thank you. Yeah, nicely put, Michelle. Um, all right, so uh, I did and have always considered this from a perspective of uh, trust in our administration and in our teachers and an understanding of uh, self-perspective and awareness that I do not and never will have the full range or collective experience or expertise uh, that the Reconsideration Committee has. Um, so to vote to overturn or uh, to put my own opinion, which I might actually come to a different opinion on some of this. I, I don't 
necessarily even know that I think that Flamer should have been removed from Blake, but that's not my decision to make. That is the decision of the experts in our schools, the people that we uh, have empowered Dr. Marston to hire, who we um, value and say we value, and we need to put our money kind of where our mouth is on that. Um, and for me to decide that I would want a different decision because of any kind of personal preference um, and seeing that these books are well within our policies around equity and expanding our kids' world, um, I would be making a political decision if I decided that I did not want to go with Dr. Marston's decision and recommendation on this. And that, I think, is one of the most um, dangerous ideas that we are struggling with right now in our country. And I will not make that one of my last acts as a school committee member. I also actually do want to thank um, uh, Ms. Ms. Ballard, who uh, gave me the words for what it was I was uh, kind of um, instinctively thinking, which is the abuse of discretion. I do not believe that there is any, any evidence here that there was an abuse of discretion within this. So my, my decision is that I would absolutely support this, uh, our librarians, our content specialists, our SEL, um, while respecting that there are people who feel very strongly they do not want their children to uh, experience that book or books like it or within any topic and that you have the ability to be able to say, I would like my child not to have um, access to that book unfettered without a discussion with you. I think that that is uh, exactly what a school should do. So thank you. Thank you. Yeah, my words are <clears throat> echo some of what folks have said, but overarching, I, you know, I, I've looked at the content, read, read through them, looked at the process, reviewed, you know, I was a very active listener uh, when we discussed it in, in public and, and read through it, and I, I support um, the output of the, the committee and the um, recommendation of Dr. Marston uh, on this. Um, I, actually, I would, that was the one thing I think has just wrapped it up too. I do think it, it, you know, we all have different opinions on some of the, some of the content and what I want, you know, my kids at certain ages reading that. And I was um, relieved that we do have, you know, a process that we may probably want to make sure people understand how to contact a principal and, you know, make sure we can operationalize that so the parents, um, you know, whether it's the rights or their influences are considered um, if, if they disagree. All right. Um, you all spoke so eloquently and I, um, I too brought this down to um, an element of trust, trusting Dr. Marsden, trusting the collective body of the reconsideration committee. Um, so much trust that th there was, um, I, I could not overrule, I cannot, would not, overrule um, their decision. Um, they are the professionals. They are with these students day in, day out. Um, 
Spencer, you spoke so beautifully and eloquently and, and with all your, your students, um, your, your peers, and that really just um, moved me. And um, sorry. Um, so um, who am I? You know, I just, yes, we are elected officials representing the community, but we also have to um, trust our administrators listen to the voices of our students, and um, also encourage parents, if they are unhappy um, with this decision, to invoke that policy that we do have, where parents may limit the access um, to certain books for their students. So um, I do support the decision of Dr. Marsden um, and the reconsideration committee. Um, but we, before we put this to a formal vote, I do want to invite anyone who would like to speak right now, because folks are able to. And if somebody has a raised hand. There is one raised hand. OK. Who is it? Uh, Kaylin Kasky. Kaylin. Um, Owen, do you mind bringing Kaylin over? And if Kaylin is able to turn her screen on, if possible. Hi, Kaylin. Can you hear me okay? Yes. And we can see you. Great. Oh, okay. Thank you. Um, I appreciate it. I actually had raised my hand during public comments, so I had intended on saying this then. I just think it was missed. Um, so thank you for bringing me over now. I just think it's still important to point out um, and also to acknowledge the great job that our schools do to provide an ample amount of books for the LGBTQ plus students to feel seen and heard. When searching the catalog in our school library under the heading gay, there are 107 books available for our students. There are 57 books available under the heading bullying. Under gay teenagers, there are 21 books. Under lesbian, there are 47. Under transgender, there are 33 books available. Under heaven, there are 18. Under sexually transmitted diseases, there are five. And under abstinence, there are one. Um, these two books, Flamer and All Boys Aren't Blue, are just two of the over 100 books available. These books were in question because they were promoted as being two of the most banned books and for their explicit and mature sexual content. I hate to think that these two books out of the over 100 available inhibit students who are a part of the LGBTQ plus community from feeling accepted and heard. Um, I also wanted to add just after hearing some of those survey results, we should probably add some more books on, on substance abuse. Thank you, Kaylin. Thank you. Is there anyone else? Not online. Okay. Should we scroll down just to make sure? I want to. Yeah. Okay. No. No. All right. So at this moment, I would like to entertain a motion to affirm the superintendent's decision to uphold the recommendation made by the reconsideration committee to keep Flamer and all boys aren't blue in the high school. So moved, Michelle Kirkby. So moved, Michelle Second. Kirkby. Second, Leo Bram will take a roll call vote. Uh, Leo? Aye. 
Michelle Kirkby? Aye. Jessica Riley? Yes. Um, Tim Knight? Aye. Anna Mayo Shaybrook? Aye. All right. Thank you very thank much. You. Thank, you. thank you. And thanks uh, to everyone for the the uh, I guess the um, mature and thoughtful presentations tonight about this decision. I know it's not easy for everyone, but I, I do want to reflect to our, our community how much I value that. So thank you. Um, all right, next agenda item. This was an amendment. Um, school building committee bylaw potential amendment. Michelle, did you want to sure, I'll take speak one. to that? Um, so uh, I've been thinking about how to help ensure that this new SBC is successful. Um, and I just had some concerns around the perception, I guess, of the SBC bylaw. Um, you know, in a lot of ways, this is new and uncharted territory for everybody because this is the first time we're really we're, we're doing this. Um, so currently, there are four town committees that have representation on the SBC, the Warrant Committee, the Planning Board, the Permanent Planning and Building Committee, and the School Committee. And there seems to be a notion or an understanding, understanding that the individuals representing these boards have to be current members. So my personal concern with this is that when, you know, like what Jess is about to do in regards to like... Rolling off. Correct, thank you. Um, Having a life, reading a book. Uh-huh, yep, yeah. those things. Um, you know, with, with four, four of the um, boards or committees having representation, which is actually five of the 12 voting members, we might end up in this place where we've got kind of a merry-go-round or revolving, revolving door, door of members, right? And we would be in a space of losing um, institutional knowledge overall. Um, speaking with, I mean, you, you, Leo and Anime can obviously speak to how much information is involved with an SBC and that continually rotating people in and out is not probably the best way to run the project. Um, so what I wanted to better understand was, or what I had originally proposed was to amend the bylaw. So I reached out to Christine and Scott and Gus and Mike Weber and you, and I ended up sitting down with Gus. We had a lovely discussion at Blue Moon. Um, and we studied the bylaw together, and it actually states that if an SBC's, sorry, in 1.E, if an SBC member's term as an elected or appointed official expires, or such member chooses to resign from their appointment, the appointing authority who initially, initially selected such member will be responsible for selecting a member for the balance of the school project. It doesn't actually say it has to be a current member or that you have to put a new person in. And Gus and I both kind of came to that together. So as the appointing authority here from the school committee um, and having already selected Jess, uh, fools, we could keep her, right? <laughs> you could. So what Gus suggested was that we reach out to town council and talk to Mark Sorrell um, and make sure that that is actually the interpretation. And Jess, I respect that you would like to read books, um, but understanding Spend that Spend my child's senior year with him mm -hmm, yep. instead of here. Yeah, yeah. Also um, other things like Trying that. to help the overall transition uh, be a little bit smoother. If, if, if you're open to it, my proposal is that you stay on to the end of the school year, and then we can, in that time frame, kind of evaluate what makes sense for us in regards to who would take your seat on the SBC. So action item one would be, Anna Mae, if you're okay checking with town council to make sure that Gus and I are reading this correctly, and Jess, if you're open to staying on to that 
end of the school year space. Um, I think I need a little a smoother transition. Yeah, I need a little bit of time to think about it. It seems like a perfectly great idea because I, I am concerned and I have always been concerned about this con uh, coterminous uh, appointment. Obviously, the people um, who probably should have been on the SBC would have been you and Tim. Um, and, you know, every election cycle, you never have any guarantee that somebody will continue to be on the school committee. Um, and I honestly think the school committee or the school building committee needs some fresh legs. But I also think that it's kind of cruel um, to just throw somebody who's just been elected to the school committee into the SBC when they are also just trying to figure out what uh, the job of being on a school committee is. Um, so I guess I would not, as I think about it now, I would not, I would consider going through, say, the end of the fiscal year if we were able to then put together a plan about um, what the handover looks like, uh, how we introduce people, kind of really what that, that procedure is. Um, and then I, I actually don't have any specific opinion about how that gets enacted. I think uh, that was not when I initially read the school bylaw and when it was kind of put up and we kind of got a chance to look at the, the final copy of it was literally days before uh, and without actual consultation with the school committee. Um, so we knew that there was always going to be things that we needed to fix about it, but I think that you, you made a good catch there, and I think it addresses some of the real concerns that people have had about this kind of revolving door situation. Um, but I'm not going to necessarily speak to that in terms of uh, how the committee might think about that permanently going on. I think that that's one of those things that there are gonna be a lot of other school building um, committees, unfortunately. You know, we're kind of reaching the end on a lot of our uh, facilities, so. But um, if it were to make the, the transition easier and it were to be something that uh, the committee would feel okay about, I would be willing to kind of make that it's really uh, just transition. I, I know it is. And your it's decision. only a couple. I know, but you know, I'm so goal oriented sometimes. I'm like, it's the 27th. I know, but I read I'm just, a book on the 28th. I know, I know, I know. But I think this is more about intentional right. transitions. Intentional transitioning, yeah. and then so um, the two sp new school. Um, school right. committee members. We don't want to just pick them out of a hat. Like you're no, it, you're it. and yeah. I, I suppose that the the vision I'm seeing is that if if Jess, you are amenable to just go through the end of the school year, which is just a few months after, a, a couple of months after the election, yeah. and then hopefully the two new school committee members can either shadow attend virtually in person just to kind of absorb what they're getting into, and then hopefully organic one of them will just say, yes, I want it. Look at the bright side. I don't have to come to this meeting anymore, Jess. <laughs> <laughs> I, I like you people. <laughs>
Uh, no, and not that I don't like the SBC. Yes. That was not a thing. But um, <laughs> okay. So, yeah, so um, I would be amenable to it if the rest of the SBC was, you know, somewhat amenable yes. to it. Yes. When and is your next meeting? This is not like March. a Machiavellian kind of like, oh, I'm going to stay for everything. Second, maybe. March second. So, open meeting. Oh, okay. Which, um, since I've gotten three of those certificates in the last nine months, for one reason or another, I was going to not go to. So I will get in touch with Mark Sorrell just to make sure everything is on the up and up. Our intention is not to keep you on forever, no. but just to really an intentional transition. In fact, transition. I think I may have just stated that multiple ways. Yes, no. understood. And understood. Understood. In the last five um, But we also want to give the two new members an right. opportunity to kind of make a thoughtful decision commitment. Um, so, yeah. all right. Sure. Super. Thank you. But I do think it's a, it's a in in theory. I think it's. Um, I think it's a really valid concern about the bylaw in general. And I think it should be a valid concern for any community, uh, committee that rep has representatives yeah. on it. If we want as a committee, uh, a committee and a community to really make this work in the most efficient way possible. I mean, some of the things Gus and I talked about is like, um, the warrant committee actually has former warrant committee members that are no longer on the warrant committee, but serve as liaisons to other, other places, right? Mm -hmm. um, one of the examples we talked about was how Martha Festa, when she was no longer on the Warren Committee, continued to work um, on the state hospital project, right? Um, Marcucci, also not involved anymore, but still representative. Affordable housing. Correct. Right? Yeah. And then I think Mike Pastore does something with the collective bargaining, right? So there is, there is a precedent in our town if you are, you know, in good standing, I guess, and somewhat with your... Um, with your committee members or your, or your board, so I got to keep my nose keep clean. You, on, you know, right? Like there is that 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 place where you can have that going forward. It's also, yeah. because from an SBC standpoint, right? I mean, well, there might be multiple SBCs. There should be an end date to the project, right? Like you're not sitting here for, you know. Yeah. I think she said that's a going away present, but that's what I just heard. <laughs> All right, so that's the plan. Thanks, Lily. Sorry. <laughs> oh, good night, Lily. Thank you. Um, all right. We're good with that one. Any other? Good. Sounds um, good. good pick up Michelle on the. Yeah. Thanks, the Michelle. Um, Dr. Marston, any other items since posting no, um, February 9th? Okay, lovely. Um, old business. 2023, mm -hmm. 2024 school year calendar, second draft. Right. So in your materials was the updated second draft of our district calendar for 23-24. You notice, Michelle, we have better nice. colors in this. I, did. I saw First that thing too. I school, high school. Um, but it, that definitely differentiates the school. Oh, thank goodness I didn't write that <laughs> email where I thought I didn't like it, but I'll just shush. You can choose another color if you like. <laughs> uh, so that, um, you know, we made all the changes that were recommended. We looked at it through leadership a couple of times. Uh, we updated the colors. Uh, we've been through it a zillion times and seven different people have done it so i think we got it all right this time um so i'd ask you to approve it as presented we can get it up on the website so folks can start making their vacation plans uh i motion to accept the madam chair 2023-24 school year calendar as presented to the committee beautiful do we have a second Second, Michelle Kirkby. Second, Michelle Kirkby. All in favor? Aye. Aye. 
All right. I just want to mention again, too, that the reason why we have two different weeks for middle school and high school is because parents have students in both buildings, and it would be impossible, I think, to go from one to the next on the same day. So. And most importantly, alleluia, we have conferences, we have conferences for the middle, middle school and high school. It's just different when you have 22 kids in elementary versus you know, 90 or 80 or yeah. 85 kids from middle school, high school. So. Very good. Um, FY24 budget. Um, thank you. So just a couple of things I want to update you on, and I know Michelle also was at a meeting with Michael as well um, to, to go over some of the budget stuff. So Warren Committee has been asking for a lot of information from us, and they've been reviewing the information. So I just want to give you a rundown of some of the, the um, items and schedules that they've asked for. So they looked, they wanted a payroll summary schedule. So they looked at um, FY22 to F, excuse me, FY2020 to FY22. Um, the actual is compared to our FY23 budget and then compared it to our request. Um, looked at the FTE summary schedule from 2020 and the actual 2022 and then compared that to our existing FY23 and our FY24 request. Um, reviewed the expenses um, on SR3. Um, so we talked a little bit about a carryover for SR3 because um, we can use it for FY24. So we're still working through that a little bit on things we may not have we put in the, in the, the grant, but we can look at it, do an amendment on that so that we're, we're working with that as well. Um, <clears throat> major line item schedules for non-payroll expenses. Uh, they looked at um, FY 2020 to FY24 actual versus budget uh, for special education expenses, transportation expenses, operational classroom expense, and IT expenses. And um, last two things. Um, they, they took our payroll and did a payroll audit by selecting random teachers and comparing them to the teacher scale to see last year to see if it tied back to the um, master payroll sheet and all of the selections tied back to our master payroll sheet. So that was all set. And then they looked at the schedule that Michael put together for revolving accounts. So actual versus budget from FY18 all the way to FY24. So they've asked us for a lot of information. They're going through it with a fine tooth comb and we hope to have another meeting um, in the beginning of March to kind of go through some of this and we haven't got a number yet from the town where they, where they want us at We're still working through that um, But I know Michelle you were at a meeting on Friday if you wanted if you have anything else to add. Um, I think the only thing I would um, Kind of like related but not related um, anime and Jess I just want to thank you again for helping and work so hard to get the contract in place. I feel like the amount of headlines you see recently with teachers striking um, you know, when we talk about payroll, like it could, it could be, it could be different, right? Mm -hmm. Like it could be very different. It could be yeah. very different. So, but I think that speaks uh, most to Dr. Marston and to our teachers and to the kind of trust that I think you and I were very much witness to in those negotiations. Um, and then, yeah, the uh, we looked a little about um, a lot of the FTE increases with payroll have to do with the ESSER grant, mm -hmm. as you mentioned, which supports the um, mental health services that are a result from the pandemic. Um, and just some of the outliers are unknown still. The governor's budget isn't going to be released until early March. Um, there seems to be very little under, maybe not very little, but like a lot of questions on how the millionaire's tax will affect us and what the circuit breaker increase will be. So having been in Medfield for a while, I'm gonna say it won't. <laughs> I'm just gonna, I'm gonna make that prediction there. And if anybody wants Ouch. to put some money down on that, that'll be great, but it's just not going to. I think higher is gonna get much of that. Oh, Jess. Anybody wants to, I don't know. 
Come back. I'd rather have that thrown in my face as being utterly wrong, but I, I hope so. can't see it happening. <laughs> I hope so. But so. I was at a legislative breakfast for Cape Cod Collaborative last Friday with the legislature to talk about this very thing, and those mm -hmm. were the two things that I brought up as being that they need to go back and push on with Circuit Breaker and Chapter 70, mm -hmm. so by far. Yeah. Thank you, Vivian. We need help on both. Mm -hmm. Great. So hopefully in the, you know, the next two March meetings, we'll have a, a number that we can target and then start getting some reductions your way to see what, what you'd like us to do. Okay. But we're still waiting for that from the town side. Okay, great. I would say just uh, personally, as we're looking at, um, as we're looking at what, what we've added and what we heard here tonight, I don't, I could not see mental health positions being negotiable. Mm -hmm. I just don't, you know, we need them too much. Our kids are still recovering. Our community is still recovering. And we're essentially the safety net for our kids in many ways. Absolutely. So, thousand percent. All right. Um, school building committee updates. Good first meeting. First, yeah, first, yeah, good fun. First meeting went well. I feel like it was a good kickoff. Um, it's good to have, kind of talk at a high level on, you know, kind of people's thoughts and ideas on things. Yeah. Um, I guess um, knowing that we are going to be kind of liaisoning between the school committee, I'm interested to make sure that I'm hearing, or we're hearing while she's here, um, questions, thoughts, or comments that you guys have. I want to make sure, I feel like, I just want to make sure that I'm covering all the bases and I'm not relying on, you know, you to go watch a video or read a document, right? Well, I, I think that's... on the spot like that. No, I would no, also say good... the other things we talked about were kind of um, trusted communication, right? We talked mm -hmm. loosely or high level on like um, third party, you know, should we be bringing in a third party from a communication standpoint? Um, can we talk to some towns that have had success building a school and utilizing a third party um, communication? And I mean, in third party communication and or third party data collection and communication kind of, yeah. you know, so that there's kind of a, a two, there's two parts to that, right? Yeah. And we can all communicate, but people have to understand that what the committee is communicating is based in neutral um, so trusted. collection yeah, it's, it needs to be and trusted, trusted yeah. right? So that's the definition of trusted. So. Isn't there a set of facts as well? We're going to try to establish yeah. a set of mm -hmm. facts yep. as part of it. The baseline thing, yeah. yeah. Um, and, and I guess actually, Michelle, that's kind of a, a good idea in terms of thinking about how the committee may like us to, or like me in the short term, Michelle in the long term, and whomever else, how you would like a, to have those school building committee uh, kind of communications um, between the school committee and, you know, is there a structure is there a, a schematic that you would like to see um, so that we are constantly kind of presenting apples to apples information to the committee for you to be able to consider things over the long term? Mm -hmm. You know, is that something we need to do and put into place so that when we speak to the community and when we speak amongst ourselves, we have, you know, like kind of a, a through line of what the concerns are and, and where they're progressing, like how that's. Okay. Um, I, I just think of, you know, like questions, I think Michelle, part of what you said was questions we would ask or, yeah. or things that, you know, like I, I, what I think about is overarching, like what's the, does, is there a straw man, and I know it's early, but for an overall process, you know, I think many yeah. in the town, is it five, you know, what, what's the time frame? What, do they have an idea? Um, 
and I think you're going to con you know, this goes without saying, but balance speed of decision and, and common sense for something we know we need versus engaging, you know, and making sure you're getting community input. Mm -hmm. right? But, um, you know, I, I just, I, I'm like, hey, okay, how many meetings before we have a high degree, high level process in mind? Right? Like we've, we've talked about that prior to it being out there as to when, when might we have, you know, pop, you know kind of an obvious, obvious decision. Like, you know, what does it look like? Timeline, feasibility, the budget for the feasibility study, what's it going to cost, you know, is it right. going to go what's to the, the town, town meeting this for year, cost? is it like right. a I mean, special town, a town meeting? meeting coming up pretty quickly, you know, yeah. you need budget for feasibility, we need to, you know, we, we have, have 250, we have 250 right now, which is right. account now. a quarter of what we started with. I think Christine recommended we ask for more at that meeting. Yeah. She did. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, Warren's committee's got You're that in the pocket, but who knows yeah. if that'll right. survive. Right, right, also true. As the onion gets peeled away. Yep. An idea of how much you're going to be able to use from the previous one would be good because that will be asked at the town meeting. Okay. I think it's that too. No, no, I meant what are you saving by using materials or oh, yeah, yeah, any yeah. efforts from the previous feasibility study that cost? And a lot of that is technical information that you know. Yep. I mean, there's stuff that that we have done, but obviously there's a lot of technical information that may not continue to be relevant. Site in this surveys. Well, the site surveys, yeah. some of those other things. So there is a baseline of information that they're asking for mm -hmm. from school committee. So, um, you know, was there a timeline really to, to get that information? You know, they wanted updated enrollment, you know, what our needs are for space. Yeah, I mean, I think one of the, the most urgent items on the agenda from what they talked about the last meeting was whether or not we do an SOI right. in, in April. So right, because you don't want to spend your April vacation doing that. I'm sorry. Again, <laughs> because you don't want to spend April no, I mean, vacation. I think it's, if yeah. they want to do it, that's fine. It's just yeah. they have to make that decision, and then having the decision. But to, we also have to make that decision. Right. So yes. You got. You guys have to make it. The board of selectmen have to make it. Yeah. And yeah. then you know they just direct me to do what I need to do on that. Um, but having the meeting at Dale Street in March was a great idea. Yes. Mm -hmm. So because there were some folks on the board that hadn't been in there in years, you know. Or so we're going to be. I think there's a couple people who have right. been in there. Yeah. And some have never been in there. So yeah. I think that was a good idea to do that. And we'll have some tours as part of it as well. So what I came away with was um, just, uh, you know, the breadth of experience on the board, you know, the different voices and um, backgrounds and just the um, the positivity and mm -hmm. the the desire, you know, to move forward mm -hmm. as a community. So I, I, I walked away feeling very hopeful. I feel a little bit like the, the, the school project is at this point within our towns. Um, you know, we have a lot of projects that are kind of backed up. You know, there are things, pieces of the puzzle that have not been able to be unlocked because we haven't been able to move on with this project. And it, being able to move on with this and then being able to have a larger plan that people feel familiar with and can enact um, helps helps our entire town, not just our our Dale Street kids. Mm -hmm. You know, does this unlock the ability for Parks and Rec to then be thinking about what their next step is in terms of buildings, which then serves our teen communities, which are so easily identified as not having 
anything to do in our community. You know, like Boloco's not gonna do it, right? Or Chipotle or whatever, right? Like that's not a teen facility, but that is about as close as we're gonna get for a yeah. while. Like how do we unlock our progress instead of having it seized up? And I think if we can start through and get people really thinking big picture, we're gonna do our, we're gonna see a, a, a real improvement in terms of town services yeah. and town community services um, within the next 10, 10 years. We'll, we'll look back at it and say, okay, this is, this is good. So, Very good. That's my hope and right. I will watch. Great. Okay. <laughs> Sorry, I'm not gloating. I'm very sad about leaving the school committee. Yeah. <laughs> so community engagement and communication. Any updates, folks? Um, so Jeff, you said the newsletter is going out in April, correct? The budget one flyer? Yes. 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 Yeah, I didn't yes. know what you're talking about. Yes. Oh. <laughs> budget, <laughs> budget mailer. Sorry, Sorry the budget mailer. Budget, yes. budget yes. mailer. Yes. Sorry, budget mailer. Yeah. Um, Newbie. Yes, thank you. Um, for our social across our social platforms, we're up a little bit, uh, closer to 40, uh, 40 new people following us. Um, engagement is still um, trending the same, with increased engagement on the um, Friday post that kind of show what's going on in schools. Um, it sounded like our last informal conversation went well. Um, I don't know if it's worth talking about having another one, what that might look like. One last hurrah for Jess and Anna May. No. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, my friend, I have done my share. <laughs> Although, if we want to start a TikTok account and put on, like, Marsden memes, sure. 100%. I'm in for that for life. I do, personally, I know I'm moving off, but um, I, I, the informal conversations, I think, is a worthy thing to do. Yeah. And I think Zoom is um, more inclusive. I would suggest. Um, but I, in part of that community engagement communication, I'm hoping that we can kind of start sharing with our different schools, the PTOs, what have you, and um, that the strategic planning, our focus groups are going to be coming up, you know. So um, those are really, really, really important. And, really and that's actually what I was going to bring okay. up. I mean, I, I, I think, think about how different our kind of strategic yeah. plan. Yeah. Like, yeah. Those two are hand in hand. For sure. Like Dr. Marsden, how are we starting to enlist you know, yeah. volunteers to support that? Yeah. So that's going to be here before we know it. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. Do we have dates yet? April. Okay. Yeah. April, May, June. Okay. Yeah. It'll be interesting Clear to see schedules. how the, the yeah. culture April, of our um, of our community participation and numbers how that will have changed, if at all, between when we did this in twenty. Mm -hmm. and when we do it now because right. I think that we've had an enormous shift yeah. in how we communicate with each other just in that seven eight years it'll it'll be an interesting yeah kind of experiment. all right great um solar panels you folks have been so patient thank you so much I think so Penny sorry. just likes to be here all right <laughs> crack a luck it of our Town of Medfield uh, Climate Action Plan. And I am excited today to be here with Brian Woodland, who is with Select. We're going to talk about our opportunities for the schools to lead the way for our town in demonstrating how we can 
reduce carbon in our footprint, and create savings. So the wonderful thing is the way that we have proposed it on our renewables committee, we've looked at all the opportunities for Medfield with the goal with our uh, town of Medfield action plan is to achieve as maximize the opportunity for solar on all the municipal and school buildings. And we looked at the school buildings, the top three we have listed up here on this slide. Um, and we would like to move forward with these uh, three with a letter, letter of intent. But let me just give you the highlights. These three projects at Blake Middle School, Medfield High School, and our Memorial School are a combination of both roof panels and canopies. They bring a savings of between one point seven, planned savings of $1.7 million over the 25 year of the life of the project. And the beautiful thing is that we don't have to put out a single dime to create this savings. Uh, this will be with a purchase power agreement with Select. I do want to uh, remind you though that there is a time value of money and it is uh, important particularly in solar because as solar gets close to parity with grid generation, uh, the incentives go down. So we actually show that between block seven and block eight. If we don't hit the timing on block seven, which is filling up quick, uh, the next block will be block eight, it's de declining benefits, it's a 12% drop. So instead of a $1.7 million benefit over the uh, life of the project, it drops down to $1.5 million benefit and change. So uh, it is important that to the extent we can move forward on these with a letter of intent and get in line with the uh, incentives associated by uh, the Commonwealth of Massachusetts with SMART, it would be a good thing. So. Um, the great news is on these three projects, the canopies bring you some additional benefits besides uh, saving energy and reducing your carbon footprint. They will also provide shade in the summer and keep snow off in the winter for faculty and students who are under them. So if you would like, we can show you the three projects right quickly. Uh, and I want to reassure you that we have a very thorough community outreach plan that is multi-channeled. It includes, uh, we've already published a newspaper article in the Hometown Weekly, and we plan a series of community events, both in person and via uh, virtual uh, sessions so that more can attend, uh, with special outreach to abutters on each of these three. So the Blake Middle School has the opportunity for both roof, because we do have a new roof here, and canopy. So one thing about solar, you don't want to put it on an old roof and then have to pull it off again. So if you're replacing the roof, and I think uh, Jessica was highlighting that we have a series of school projects that are coming up. We could that be putting will, yeah. So we'll, yeah. we have we will have many more opportunities to get benefits from solar going forward. But these are the top three uh, in the uh, in the queue here. The Medfield High School would be um, parking covered here uh, that, that probably many of us are in <laughs> this afternoon. Um, and you can see the design there. And then Medfield Memorial School, this is that parking lot at the far end next to the um, map facility uh, that's at Memorial. So for each of these, uh, these by the way are in order of our priority order of outreach. So we believe the Blake, we start with the Blake, then we go to the high school and then the Medfield Memorial School. However, our, we do have a series of outreach on, on, on this whole concept in general uh, to all these communities planned uh, through March through April. You wanna pull up, I think the next slide shows our outreach plan. Oh, next steps. Uh, Okay, one more slide. Thank you, Michael. 
Uh, so February, a series of, um, we have a subcommittee that's just doing the outreach um, and they were doing an amazing job. Matter of fact, Megan Sullivan, we're coordinating with uh, the sustainable Medfield team to do a lot of this too, but we've got some introductory articles reaching out to the schools, so the principals, so that they know what's going on, um, and then a series of others. So I will hit the pause button, open it up to any questions. We do have, as I said, Brian's here from Select. Uh, for those of you who don't know, in my other world, I head up um, energy strategy and customer experience for Eversource. I work and lead, I see all the solar projects that come in for Eversource across Massachusetts. And I can reassure you that Select is a very uh, highly regarded organization that works with municipals and communities. They've done worked with over 100 communities and have over 700 projects in play. It's important because there's not all, not all solar developers will work with small towns and communities uh, to develop solar projects, um, I, but I did want to let you know, having uh, worked with many of them, I see them all, um, this is a, an organization that uh, really does care about the communities and towns that they work with. Thanks. Right. Can we just look at the high school one again? Can you just check that out? Michael, can you pull it back? I do know just a, a quick thing with the um, open space and rec committee. Although I am not mixing my committees right now, um, they they'd had have some concerns about the accessibility parking spaces uh, in terms of the accessibility plan and uh, kind of. Um, uh, I'm sorry, it's late. Is it past ten yet? We done that. No, um, no. no. Okay. Right. Uh, but in any case, I, when we're looking at implanting mm -hmm. and constructing those, we may need to to look at how the handicap uh, disability parking is uh, fit in there. I think they were concerned about narrowness. Yeah. yeah. Is the question I'm coordinating for? for the oh, just a, a. It's a my hobby committee. Um, is looking at accessibility around town and uh, areas of need around accessibility so that there may be some reconfiguring of parking spaces that needs to happen or kind of reconfiguring of space in a very minor way. But as it's being built, uh, it would be a good time to make sure that we don't have a stanchion right in the middle of, <laughs> or, you know, like a. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. And, and as part of the engineering, um, the, the next step would be to do geotech. Mm -hmm. understand where would actually be placing the footings yeah. and then around the footings would obviously be for accessibility. Um, we're working on a project right now with the Stone Zoo where they just recently did, we did a walkway to access mm -hmm. the, the zoo um, for accessibility and, and worked with them on that as well too. So. Do you anticipate all these, all of projects going concurrently or would it be Blake first and then how would that work? We we have in discussions would defer to the school committee if you had preferences on that we can certainly stage them the work is ideally done during the summer so that we are not impacting your traffic flow so right. that would you know and these do have a time frame once you get in line with smart uh, you've got 18 months plus a six month extension so it's not unending mm -hmm. that uh, but once we get in line it holds our place so uh, so with the letter of intent, we can get in line. Uh, we would move forward with the community meetings 
obviously if there was you know some significant concern that uh, caused us to pause we can we would have that option but um, the intent is letter of intents to move forward um, so how how is signing the letter of intent at this point we've already voted that we believe that we wanted to go on with this project mm -hmm. so this is simply and is this something that we would be voting tonight to actually formalize no, that? We have or to. Or are we waiting? We voted. Okay. We did vote. Mm -hmm. We did okay. vote, and there has actually. I was actually trying to remember if we were. Yeah, the agenda just says update. Did yeah. This, yeah, so there was a vote or is a mm -hmm. vote to proceed with the letter of intent. Right, that's what I thought, yeah. As we proceed with the development process, the, the value or the savings changes over the development term mm -hmm. based on the tax assumptions, the rate of energy cost of energy, the incentives that we get, the geotech. And so what we wanted to do is just provide visibility to the process and where we are right now, because it is, it is a development process. Mm -hmm. And on one hand, we don't need to communicate every single up and down. Um, ideally, it would just Have be you not like, been in Medfield for long? What's that? <laughs> yeah, ultimately, it would, be like, it would be like a smooth lake or just a sheet of glass. and. Um, but we do want to we do want to update as we come into this year. We want to make sure that the committee's familiar with our process and where we are with it. So it's more of an update than anything else. Okay. All right. I just wanted to make sure that we weren't, you know, needing to progress because I, I obviously is we do want to make sure that we get as much. Yeah. No, as we're just getting an update tonight. Great. Great. Yeah, Thank you. I missed that part. Future votes. Sorry. Is there a future vote? The future. So where would we go from here is. I'm going to put the next step slide up. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. the next yeah. Um, oh. We just wanted to, we, we want to make sure that everybody's kept in the loop, so, but I am trying to be very brief. <laughs> so we um, have to have that signed, I believe, in talking to Michael. We've got to, to run it by the, have somebody sign it. We'll get that signed. The planning board. And then we'll, we have, other things that are coming up next. Yeah, council's approved the form, so it's, it's ready yeah, for signature. So, so that's the next piece Perfect. of it. Um, then the engineering, securing the incentives, um, making sure, you know, going through the Eversource um, interconnection review process, and then obviously the engagement with and outreach with, you know, the Energy Committee and Megan and the team. Um, and then then there will be a, um, and I think there's a place on the town meeting for a, a town meeting vote um, that will provide uh, the school committee uh, and, and the superintendent to authorize the letter, I mean, the, the actual agreements. Um, and so once that's in place, then that's the next trigger. So we're, you, we're doing these things in parallel so that by the time we have town meeting, we'll have the incentives in place and presumably the Eversource um, approval as well. Very good. Thank you very much Thank for the so update. Much. Thank you for waiting Thank so you. Long. Yes. I appreciate it. <laughs> Thank you. Super. Alrighty. Any informational items? Okay. Great. So future agenda items, strategic plan, policy updates, um, Blake DC trip. Um, Anime, should we be looking at you know, potential, I hate to say it, transition handoff things between, I mean, the two of us are rolling off and it's 
been a long time. So maybe we should just as a committee think about yeah, we can, what we, we need can to put hand that. To, to Tim, assuming he would, you yeah. know, you I don't know. Just call you. Um, but you I'm could. changing my number. <laughs> no. You could. Yes. And I'm wondering, um, you know, Dr. Marsden had mentioned at the um, public hearing, you know, the, the school buses potentially mm. charging need fees. To talk about that. And, yeah. you know, do, do we want to do a convinced. deep dive and um, explore that? Um, so that would, could perhaps be a future agenda item. Do I do I get to get through school committee without ever having to actually make that decision, or are you going to make me do that the last? I don't know. Yeah. We'll have to figure that one out. But all did right. We, did Any, we add a few meetings in March? No. Two. Two. Just two. Just two. You, you sure? Just two. Yeah. Yeah, Leo. Our next meeting <laughs> is March 9th, um, twenty twenty-three. All right. Do anything else, and then we can have a motion to adjourn. I don't think so. Do we have a motion to adjourn? So moved. So move Leo. A second? Second, Michelle. Second, Michelle. All in favor? Aye. Aye. Meeting right. adjourned. Thank, Thank you. you.